following program is intended for mature audiences. said to you that when you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Surely the days of the great Martian revelation are upon us. Which nobody has ever seen before. When China looks at woke and they see the biggest problem we have is Dr. Seuss. In the meantime, they're building factories and trying to kill us in so many different ways. They laugh at us. They think we're so... Frankly, they think our country is stupid. I want to do what's right, and they are destroying our country. Human beings have been wondering about unexplained lights in the night sky since the first Neanderthal cooked an ocelot over a campfire and looked up. But in our age, in the modern age, fascination with UFOs really began in the summer of 1947. That's when a man called Mac Brazel found something very weird on his ranch in Corona, New Mexico. That's about 85 miles northwest of Roswell. Suspecting it might be debris from outer space, Brazil dutifully brought the pieces to a nearby military base. The next day, the base issued a press release confirming that the material was, in fact, from a flying disc, a flying saucer. News agencies around the world announced the shocking find. Flying saucers! Then, within hours, the U.S. military changed its assessment of what these pieces were. Brigadier General Roger Ramey, commander of the 8th Air Force, announced that in fact the debris from outside Roswell was nothing more than a weather balloon. Not a big deal, nothing extraordinary, certainly nothing extraterrestrial. Was General Ramey telling the truth about that? But that was not the end of the story. Over the past 75 years, the U.S. military has gathered evidence on a remarkable number of puzzling aerial phenomena, most of which were definitely not weather balloons. Unexplained flying objects have buzzed U.S. military bases, missile sites, ships, aircraft, submarines underwater, often at speeds and in directions that seem to defy any known human technology. The Pentagon has said next to nothing about any of this in public. Instead, it has consistently covered up these sightings. Virtually everything we know about UFOs has come from whistleblowers. By the time this show launched nearly five years ago, it was clear there was definitely something very odd going on in the skies above us. UFOs were not some crackpot theory cooked up on late night radio. They were absolutely real. The question was, what are they exactly? Over the years, several powerful political figures in Washington, including Senator Harry Reid, have pushed the U.S. military to reveal all it knows about UFOs. But in every case, they have failed to dislodge that information. Then last year, Senator Marco Rubio of Florida inserted a demand for transparency into a federal appropriations bill. 
By the end of June 2021, the government was required to turn over its full assessment of UFOs. Just a few hours ago, that report finally came out late on a Friday. We've only seen the public version so far, but here's what we can tell you. Government investigators seem sincerely baffled by what these things are. Today's report analyzed 144 separate sightings of UFOs by the U.S. military. But in only a single case could the government explain what it was. In that case, it was a large deflating balloon. The rest, the other 143, remain a complete and total mystery. So the most sophisticated military in the world has no idea what these things are or even how they move from place to place. Some of these aircraft, the report says, quote, appeared to remain stationary in winds aloft, move against the wind, maneuver abruptly or move at considerable speed, all without discernible means of propulsion. So we do know that no government in the world possesses anything like this. No technology like this exists that we know of. The Pentagon seems fairly certain these are not Russian and they're not Chinese. So what are they? The report doesn't say. It notes only the obvious. UFOs, quote, clearly pose a safety of flight issue and may pose a challenge to U.S. national security, end quote. Do not come. Do not come. I'm going to come. Escaping the American attraction A bait and switch that's gonna thrill you with distraction It sounds so good that can't resist the satisfaction When it's all over you'll be crying, I'll be laughing Tick, 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 and down to a disaster. Your insecurity is all the gunning after. This propaganda is so impossible to resist. Drug. You got your bomb, got your blood. And now we've had enough. I got that gun, got that drug, I got everything. 
yes indeed, you cannot escape the American attraction. How true, yet it could be more like you cannot escape the American distractions. As many as they are trying to force us into this new world order of crazy. But good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and all you ETs out there in the bite waves of the internet, and wherever you're at down through time monitoring this show. I'm Gary Legier, the Mars Revealer, known also as the Mad Martian, and I would like to welcome you all to the Martian Revelation that is upon you all again now. Welcome to the Bazaar. And today is July 3rd of 2021, or the 4th, depending upon your time zone as it says through time. And quite a celebratory time that this is supposed to be, especially for we the people here in the United States of America, as it is supposed to be our Independence Day. But even that's trying to be distracted away from us all from that fact of what this day represents to us, as well as for us all in our rights and our freedoms and our dreams and our pursuits of what ultimately must lead this nation to help usher in the Martian revelation. Many have fought and died to be at a time to where we're at now in our nation's history. But many of them will be turning over their graves of those who sacrificed of what's going on now with all these distractions away from the truths and the realities of which be. And to take that all from us and as well as to destroy this country and our place in it. So you listen to this broadcast through Global Enlightenment Radio Network stream and also now through the public stream and network stream as well as through the Martian Revelation Show YouTube stream live at That's right, which everyone knows your defense for the war which we all fight against the evil dark missionaries. As many as there are out there now who are all leading you away from the light and the truth and manipulating you all instead to help you open your wallets and their pocketbooks to only join their dark side and special clubs and their special subscriptions that only allows them more power to continue to mislead you all and to steer you all away from the truth that they themselves now wish to face or even admit to. Hell, let alone even talk about... Yeah, UFO Diaries. Faces on Mars. Cover-up controversy. Down through time. Huge conspiracy. It is a conspiracy. Okay. (laughs) But the Martian revelation is, however, 100% listener-supported. With no special clubs or any special subscriptions to join. So if you're a listener, please help support the Martian Revelation Show again, which is your only defense for that war which we all fight against those evil dark missionaries. (laughs) (laughs) And we're trying to work with the goal each week to bring you your bizarre truth one show at a time. So please share the facesofmars.com link. And I must also ask you all, though, that you please donate to the show with anything that you could afford by clicking on the big red, white, and blue American Donate button at the top of the show page to allow it to continue being here for you down through time. As it is because of you, the listener, of which makes the Martian Revelation possible to be brought to you all back through time. So your listenership and your donation support actually counts. And it helps us all to not only fight, but to win against those evil dark missionaries. <laughs> as well as to secure a future which we all could literally make the Martian revelation our reality. By what? By making our fate. And just remember also that if you're listening to this Martian revelation show, then know this, that you are the resistance down through time. 
Which Hello, everyone. Me, I got to tell you, it's great to be back on the air. There was a lot of turmoil and hecticness going on. And those who have been trying to wrong me backfired on them. So now it's my turn in more ways than one. So this show still has another shot and chance for life, as is the American way to help create our dreams and our visions and use our imaginations to make them come true with the freedom of speech of which we abide by and with the freedom to pursue our happiness and our security and our exploration and our advancement into growing into what yet we must still learn who we are on Earth is as well as on Mars and beyond. So again, with all these American distractions going on, of this American attraction, of what's being focused on, but yet at the same time being distracted away by other nonsense, by those trying to take our rights and our freedoms away, acting and pretending as if they rule over us, and that they are this say, and will be this say, of what we the people do today and tomorrow. That's where we all stand in unity. Come together and say no. We must take our nation back and we must take back our place in space. As everything is being stripped from us right now. And all these American distractions coming at you. Domestically and from abroad. It's only meant to steer us into one place. Down. Where America first is no longer even a, a concept or a thought. It is an enemy. To those who want to destroy this nation, as well as we the people, as well as destroy and take away our rightful heritage that's in the stars and on Mars. But we'll get into that. Speaking of Mars, let's get into some news. Because with all these American attractions there at Mars, we're not the only ones who are there. That's not the only attraction. We have an existential enemy there also who do not share our American first values, let alone share any American values, but are deeply entrenched in this nation to tear it apart and to kill literally every single American. Of course, I'm talking about the commie Chinese. But let's look at this not-so-great American attraction of the Mars Insight, as it is not an attraction of our standing and ability of what we should be representing with our missions up there and abroad, out there in space. In my opinion, lacking the funding as well as the ingenuity to keep us with a prestige name and place in space. As the Mars Insight lander may die this year due to dust. Again, the dust problem. Again, bring some compressed air. Shoot that shit off periodically, every so often. But have enough compressed air that could be able to do it a few times at least throughout the mission's lifetime. I don't know why that is such a problem to figure out. But this is from June 29th. The robotic vehicle has been roaming the Martian surface since 2018. Really? Are they saying that the Mars InSight vehicle, robotic vehicle, has been roaming the Martian surface since 2018? Another lack of prestige in showing on our capability, let alone our understanding of the facts. Because it's not a rover. It's not roaming anywhere. It's planted down as a lander in a secure spot to which it cannot move or roll away from. But anyway, 
Manufactured by Lockheed Martin Space Systems, the Mars Insight's main aim is to measure the planet's seismic activity as well as to provide accurate 3D models of its interior. Well, how's that going so far? Again, this mission is a joke. But NASA has revealed that its Martian lander, Mars InSight, may die this year due to Martian dust. According to the space agency, dust had affected 80% of the Explorer's solar panels, leaving it with less than 700 watts-hours of power per sol, which is each Martian day, which is a bit longer than an Earth day. NASA said the problem is not new. Of course not. You, you couldn't figure out after all these years to use some ingenuity, again, to put a bottle or a tank of compressed air on it, and maybe with a mobile arm that could blow all the dust off, which you'll be able to visually see, and maybe even artificially intelligent autonomously control itself to clean its own solar panels using that method. So, yes. NASA said the problem's not new, but previous probes and landers, too, have been affected by Martian dust, but the problem was resolved by dust devils that cleaned off the solar panels and allowed the devices to last years past their design lifetime. Well, how's that working out for you in this situated spot of, again, which it cannot roam at all? Again, a tank of compressed air. That wouldn't have been much more to send. But however, the hundreds of dust devils that passed Mars InSight couldn't clean the dinner table size panels. The robotic arm installed on the lander too failed to deal with the issue. <laughs> yeah, I bet, because there's no compressed air being able to jettison from it so the arm could move and blow that shit off. But another detail that is exacerbating the situation is the fact that the red planet has been moving farther away from the sun, meaning the device will receive even less energy. But in order to conserve the power, NASA researchers decided to temporarily turn off some instruments, including sensors that collect weather and magnetic field data. Scientists say they expect Mars InSight to die sometime this year, although they note that the Explorer may survive through spring of 2022. And again, therefore, slapping us all in the face, letting us know that once again they reamed us and ripped us off. It was already made with low budget. But it wasn't made with enough ingenuity to survive. The actual dude, the science of which that it says it was intended to do, and not use the ingenuity again to ensure those results of which was being sought. All right? The mole is one example of a waste of time and money, and it could have been done another way, shooting off three militarized scientific projectiles down in the surface as the lander was coming to a landing. Shoot them off. If one of the three worked, burrow itself deep enough, all the better. But if all three of them worked, fired into different spots, it would have been like stereoscopic imagery. But of data. And then have the lander land at whatever distance away from it. But no. They wanted to do things cheaply. Basically, just to use the money to go there and do a couple things and not fulfill its main scientific objectives with the most possible ability and influences in the experiments to be utilized to ensure, again, receiving all data from all tests required. So that gives, you know, the commie Chinese another edge to slap us in the face with our own disingenuity. Speaking of ingenuity... 
from four days ago, NASA's Mars helicopter Ingenuity could keep flying the Martian skies for months. And engineers are drawing up bigger, more capable successors. But I'm sure those are being sold out and stolen by the commie Chinese also, right? But the future of aerial Mars exploration looks bright. NASA's Mars helicopter Ingenuity, which landed inside Mars's Jezero crater with the agency's Perseverance Forever rover in February, has now completed eight red planet flights. That's three more than the maximum targeted for the four-pound chopper's original technology demonstration mission, and Ingenuity isn't done yet. The little rotorcraft's current extended mission activities, which center on showcasing the potential of Mars helicopters to serve as scouts for rovers, will continue for at least a few more months with the cadence of a couple of flights a month. Perseverance Forever project scientist Ken Farley, a geochemist at the California Institute of Technology, stated on June 21st during a webcast meeting of NASA's Mars Exploration Program Analysis Group. Balancing the needs of a helicopter and rover mission simultaneously requires a complicated dance, and the upcoming Ingenuity flights will give members of both teams valuable practice, Farley said. Ingenuity and Perseverance forever are now both separate missions, but the helicopter relies on the rover, which is just now digging into its life-hunting sample-gathering work as a communications relay. Really? It's now digging into its life-hunting sample gathering weren't bullshit because as listeners to this show could appreciate and us all should not appreciate is the fact of, uh, that the reality is out of all these millions and billions that this thing costs to put together a scientific experiments one would think and one has been presented with the idea that they're actually there to look for life you could be further from the truth as it is only built and sent with experiments that actually do not and cannot detect life, but only to look for the possible signs of possible past life. The conundrum is all the more crazy into the logic and the logistics of not wanting to actually detect and discover life. Even though it has been discovered in 1976 on two Viking landers, 4,000 miles apart, one at Chrysoplanitia, the other at Utopia Planitia, where it held dual experiments replicating each other's tests, that life was detected. And this day should also commemorate on this 4th of July of Dr. Gil Levin's controlled labeled release experiments that detected that life on Mars in 1976. But anyway... Along the way, we hope to acquire reconnaissance imagery of places that we cannot go, Farley said. And we are also using the helicopter to develop terrain meshes that could, in the future, allow rovers to drive across landscapes that they cannot actually see from their mass-mounted cameras. To date, the farthest distance that Ingenuity has traveled on this single sortie is 873 feet which was achieved on Flight 4 on April 30th, and the longest it has stayed aloft is 140 seconds, which was Flight 6 on May 22nd. The Ingenuity team would like to shatter both of those marks in the next few months if possible. We've gone 266 meters, and we're looking to stretch that to a kilometer, which is just over half a mile. Ingenuity Operations Lead Teddy Santos of NASA's JPL in Southern California said during that same MEPAG meeting on June 21st. 
That would mean three minutes flight time total, Santos said. And that would really be pushing the limits of what the technology demonstrator is capable of in terms of a flight vehicle. The helicopter team will also prioritize scouting regions of interest to Perseverance forever, such as the geologic unit on the floor of Jezero known as CETA, and mining the reams of scientific and engineering data generated by Ingenuity, Xantos said. The data mining work could inform the design of the Ingenuity's successes, which are already starting to take shape as concepts at least. For example, engineers have been drawing up plans for a much larger, much more capable rotorcraft called the Mars Science Helicopter, Xanato said during his MEPAG talk. The Mars Science Helicopter is a joint project involving JPL, NASA's Ames Research Center in Silicon Valley, and the defense contractor Aerovironment. The envisioned craft would sport six rotors, weigh about 66 pounds, and be able to carry science payloads weighing up to 11 pounds or so, Santos said. Those are the weights here on Earth. The hexacopter would be lighter on Mars, whose gravity is just 38% as strong as our planet's. The Mars Science Helicopter would be capable of flying about 6.2 miles in a single sortie, Santos said. Such an aircraft would be able to explore locations that rovers couldn't access, like cliffside walls or difficult to traverse terrains or even down into caves, he said. Again, the Mars Science Helicopter is just a concept at the moment, not a full-fledged mission. But thanks to Ingenuity's ongoing work, the hexacopter might find its way to the Red Planet at some point in the not-too-distant future. So again, that's always a good thing. Finally putting Ingenuity and putting their brains to work to help things fly around on Mars above the surface, which, in my opinion, should have been figured out and dealt with long ago. But hey, progress is progress. But we're in a race, and the progress is not really progressing in this nation as we're degressing. And the existential threat against us grows all that more stronger. Speaking of which... The next article, China making plans for future space exploration, says official. This from June 14th. China is making plans for the future development of its space program. Really? Are any of you surprised? Including exploring asteroids in the Jovian system, collecting samples from Mars, and exploring the polar region of the moon, said an official from the China National Space Administration. I'm sure I'm saying that name wrong. A spokesperson of the CNSA said at a press conference held in Beijing that about the year 2025, China plans to launch a probe to collect samples from a near-Earth asteroid and explore a comet in one mission. China plans to launch a Mars sample return mission and a Jovian system exploration mission sometime about 2030, Zhu said. In addition, China plans to launch the Tengi-6 and Tengi-7 lunar probes in the coming five years to explore the environment and resources and collect samples from the polar region of the moon, Zhu said. By the end of 2022, China will have completed the construction of its space station in which astronauts could stay for prolonged periods to carry out scientific experiments, Zhu said. We should coordinate space science, space technology, and space applications in accordance with the principle of being technically realizable, financially affordable, and scientifically contributive, said Zhu. You mean commie controlled and held on to use and screw the rest of the world. You're not fooling me. 
But the development of the heavy-lift launch vehicles, reusable space transportation systems, and satellite internet will also be the focus of future development plans, according to ZOO. The CNSA released new images taken by the country's first Mars rover, Zorong, signifying the complete success of China's first Mars exploration mission, and as in the kick in the nuts to the USA. But Zhu said that China has seen new breakthroughs in the country's Tianwen-1 mission. The probe has for the first time successfully completed the interplanetary flight, soft landing and roving on an extraterrestrial planet. Again, this was from June 14th. There's been a long lull in the shows. But the completion of the orbiting, landing, and roving on the Red Planet in one mission indicates that the country has come to the forefront of the world in Mars exploration, Zhu said. Wake up! But he also noted that this is the first time that the country has carried out monitoring and communication activities over a distance of 400 million kilometers and obtained first-hand scientific data on Mars. Yes, of the technology that they bought from our commie treasonous leaders selling the station out and also for what they stolen from us. Many of you wooing and awing at these commie Chinese and their successful space missions need to wake up to the reality that it doesn't benefit you and its purpose is not to benefit you and the further expanse of human knowledge and sharing information especially from June 24th, as this article, the U.S. and China space race takes off as Beijing announces crewed missions to Mars. Wake up! China plans to send its first crewed mission to Mars in 2033. The country's leading rocket maker announced part of the country's ambitious plan to begin large-scale development of the Red Planet and ratcheting up tensions with the U.S. as the two race to become the Earth's dominant power in space. The race was already won until we were sold out and infiltrated by the commie Chinese. If they get the dominant control in space, this nation is definitely fallen. And there's no chance of getting back up. But China intends to send crewed missions to Mars in 2033, 2035, 2037, 2041, and 2043, said Wang Zhejiang, the head of state-owned China Academy of Launch Vehicle Technology during a conference. Yeah, the head of Kami State-owned Academy. But ultimately, Wang said, China envisages building a permanent presence on Mars and a large-scale development of its resources with a fleet of vessels running between it and Earth. The good news is that so far standing as we are still a nation yet to really fall to our knees and not get up, is Elon Musk and his big effing rockets and his big effing balls to get us to Mars long before 2033. But ultimately, as well as robotic missions to scout possible base locations, sample the surface, and build resource extracting equipment will proceed to crewed missions. Listen to that. Resource extracting equipment. That will precede the crewed missions, meaning they're not going there with a the tiny little mole or just to gather up some little samples. They're going to be resource extracting equipment being used, meaning mining and other perceived benefits of the industrialization of space being taken on and led by the commie Chinese. Wake up! 
The announcement will intensify the space race between Washington and Beijing. Coming on the heels of a spat of successful Chinese space missions, including one that saw China become the only non-U.S. country to successfully deploy a Martian rover in May and launch three astronauts to its new space station, Tangang. NASA, the U.S. Space Agency, is developing the technology needed to send humans to Mars in the 2030s. Bullshit, it's lagging behind again. Get behind Elon Musk and his big effing rockets and his big effing balls to help get us there. That's who NASA should be backing. It's Elon Musk who's really got the larger vision. But China has repeatedly and openly stated its plans of becoming a leading power in space, as well as over this Earth. But Martian ambition comes alongside plans to build a base on the moon with Russia, building its own space station to rival the International Space Station, as U.S. law prohibits Chinese involvement in the ISS, and you wonder why? And launching a satellite system to rival the U.S. government-owned GPS, alongside a string of other achievements. Beijing is also working to achieve military superiority in space. Wake up, Nazis! Those who not see what the truth and what the reality is going on. The race is on. And so is the fate of our nation and our future. But China's pursuit of its ambitions in space has led to some to criticize the nation's haphazard and irresponsible behavior, particularly regarding the rubbish that it leaves behind. In May, a rocket booster China used to launch part of its space station had crashed back to Earth after spending some time in orbit. Like they give a shit! And what are you doing about it to prevent them? Nothing, so shut up! You need to be getting behind our own national efforts. Close the borders. No more international cooperation and collaboration with nations who are not our friends. The race is on, and so is the race to make our fate. Listeners of this show could appreciate and those down through time listening. But unlike most boosters, its time in orbit made it unclear when or where it would land. Drawing a wave of criticism from the international community. Again, what are they doing about it? Nothing. But it is far from the first time that China has been criticized for space debris, and the latest incident has reignited calls for more comprehensive regulation of space. Right, and when they become the dominant power, how comprehensive of regulation and enforcement do you think you're going to have? Stop your bullshit. You're not bullshitting me or we the people. That brings us to the next article to reaffirm that China releases plans for permanent Mars base. The race to establish a human presence on Mars is heating up. Wake up! China's state-owned Academy of Launch Vehicle Technology has announced some ambitious plans to establish a permanent crewed base on the surface of Mars. In a speech at the Global Space Exploration Conference in 2021, the GLEX, CALT head Wang Zhengzheng, Elaborate on the country's three-step approach for future missions that Red Planet state-owned newspaper Kami Global Times reports. The announcement sends a strong signal that China is just as interested in developing a human presence in the Red Planet within the next 20 or so years as NASA and SpaceX, or at least that it sees propaganda value in planning out such missions. China is hoping to start with a Mars sample return mission in the early to mid-2030s, as well as a mission to find the best spot for a future base. 
Next will be a crewed mission, which will involve laying the foundations for the Mars base. In the early 2040s, the country is hoping to establish a large-scale Earth-Mars cargo fleet for the large-scale development of the Red Planet, according to the Kami Global Times. China is hoping to use nuclear power to allow the first crews to travel to Mars, according to Wang. The scientists even mentioned a sky ladder, essentially a type of space elevator that could carry cargo and crews to the moon using just 4% of the cost. This would involve a capsule traveling along a carbon nanotube to the space station before relaunching toward the moon. These ideas may sound mostly like science fiction at this point. Does it? But if China's recent track record is anything to go by, the country has managed to send rovers to both the moon and Mars, as well as establishing a space station in orbit over the course of just several years. Indeed, outpacing NASA's so-called prestige and America's place in space by decades, but it may just have a shot at realizing its Mars exploration goals as well. That's right, wake up, and again, their commie army ambitions which is number one priority above all other priorities regards to their space endeavors. Wake up! But as this next article states from June 27, to reach Mars, the human body may need some updates. A long space flight can be perilous for Earthlings. Scientists are working on some far-out solutions. Genetic modification would be an obvious route that they're looking, but let's see. If humans are ever going to get to Mars, we'll need engineers to design new rockets and other hardware. Will we also need scientists who can alter our genes? There it is. In a provocative new book, Dr. Christopher E. Mason of Wild Cornell Medicine argues exactly that. The problem, Mason says, is that human bodies are exquisitely adapted to life on Earth and aren't likely to hold up well during the long journeys required to settle the moon and Mars. Well, if you have gravitational control of displacement systems, you could. But one day soon, however, advances in genetics and medicine, such as the CRISPR gene editing technology or CAR T-cell therapies, in which immune cells are re-engineered to fight cancer, might be used to help astronauts better withstand the rigors of spaceflight. Mason has been researching such issues for years. He led one of the teams chosen by NASA to study the impact of long-term space travel on identical twins, Scott and now Senator Mark Kelly, after the former spent a year on the International Space Station. Mason's lab also specializes in cancer research. Both fields inform each other and the long-term plan for human survival that Mason outlines in the next 500 years, engineering life to reach new worlds. The following interview has been edited for length and clarity. Adam Minter states, I was about 100 pages into your book and I had a vision of you as a judge on Shark Tank. Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk is on stage presenting a Martian business plan and you ask, this is all very good, but how are you going to keep those people alive? Christopher Mason states, yes, I'd want to say thanks for propelling and careening humans into space, but what steps are we taking to make sure that we, of course, can do no harm? Adam Minter states that for 60 years we've thought of rockets and space capsules and computers as the bounds on our ability to explore space, but you argue that, in fact, human biology is the bound. Christopher Mason says, yes, it is, but I'm not saying it has to be. 
Maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised at the glorious plasticity of the human physique's response and humans will do just fine. Or if you just dig deep enough on Mars, maybe you could be protected under the regolith from radiation. You might be fine, but deep space missions going beyond the inner planets or even just one long mission to Mars and back will be pushing the limits of what we know. It's also approaching the estimated lifetime limits of radiation for human exposure. Adam Minter states, So based on what you have learned from the Kelly twins, what are the major health risks for, say, a Mars mission? Christopher Mason stated, Every astronaut is a little biomolecular snowflake where they've got distinct responses to spaceflight. But all of them face the same hazards, the change in gravity and the radiation. Those are the two biggies we consistently see. We can see that these are driving changes in the body, such as the bones, muscles, and genes. But then we also see these other factors, the isolation you have. You're away from friends, family, and that is really a key cognitive component that you have to track. Adam Minter states, Should we say to an astronaut who goes on a two-year mission that odds are that you're incurring health risk and probably shortening your life? Christopher Mason stated, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say a shortening your life. We just don't know. Astronauts are among the most monitored and examined patients. They actually get the benefit of some of the best health care in the world. And they're already really healthy when they go up. But we do know it likely increases long-term risk of cardiovascular disease and cancer based just on the radiation exposure alone. Adam Minter states, Scott Kelly wrote that he didn't feel normal for about seven to eight months after returning to Earth. Do you know what accounts for that? Christopher Mason replies, The one-year mission was harder than his previous ones. There's a chance the longer missions might actually be harder on the body in a nonlinear fashion. It's not just twice as hard for twice the time. It might be four times as hard. We don't have enough data to know if that increases when you go to a three-year mission on Mars and back, for example. We could see the genes that were inside his cells responding to spaceflight even months afterward. The genes activated for DNA repair were still activated at a higher level than before he went into space. We've also done continuous and additional sampling to keep track of that, and we could say almost all the genes have reverted back to normal. Well, that's interesting to know, huh, everyone? Adam Minter states, how far along are scientists in terms of being able to perform some of the engineering techniques discussed in the book? For example, should you be turning genes on and off to protect someone from radiation on a temporary basis? Christopher Mason states, we're at that point technically where we could do some of this, but I don't think that we're yet at the point where we could deploy it for astronauts. I think we won't get to deploying some of these ideas for astronauts for maybe 10 or 20 years. It's a ways off because we need to have already completed so many clinical trials and have almost no doubt about the safety and efficiency of those genetic and epigenic therapies. But as I point out in the book, we're doing some of this already today. There are now more than 1,000 CAR-T and CAR trials. We're engineering cells and infusing them back into patients, and they're walking around Earth today cured. We just haven't tried it on this question of radiation yet, except in cells. But I think we'll get there pretty soon. So Adam Minner replies, 10 to 20 years might be the time frame in which we're ready to send people out on that three-year mission to Mars. 
Christopher Mason says, yes, it's going to be like most medicine. Maybe it'll be something that's very optional. If you have two options, one that's more dangerous, you're not going to do the more dangerous one. You're going to take the safest option, the one that has clinically validated therapeutics. Vaccines are not without risk either. We tell people that if you're going into an area with a known pathogen, get the vaccine. The analogy here is like going into space where you know there's a hazard and can you prevent it even though the thing that could prevent it might not be zero risk. You have to make the calculation that that risk is less than whatever the hazard is. Adam Minter replies, Chinese science comes up often in the book, and for good reason. China has really jumped on a lot of these technologies where the West has some ethical concerns and inhibitions. Is there a possibility they jump ahead in human space exploration simply because they're more willing to take these risks? Christopher Mason states, it's likely that the answer will be in some cases yes, because we've already seen it. For example, the CRISPR embryos that were implanted and then born, and he, Jian Chao, is now in jail for it. He, a Chinese biophysics researcher, claimed to have genetically edited the embryos of twin girls in 2018. He was sentenced to three years in prison the following year. But he wasn't put in jail until an international condemnation occurred. I think your intuition there is correct, and I've seen it firsthand. In general, they are not as risk-averse as we are here, <laughs> as well as their outward space endeavors have revealed, right, everyone? And their threshold for risk seems to let them jump quicker into things that we would take more time with. And Adam Minner replies, The idea that we should engineer humans for space will inevitably sound like eugenics to some. How do you respond to that? Christopher Mason states, Eugenics was taking away liberties from people, including forced sterilization. My view is if the technology is deployed justly and equitably and with care, it could actually increase cellular liberties. It's really the opposite of eugenics. Instead of someone restricting what you can do with your cells, we flip it around. Technology could give you the greatest possible flexibility to do things with your cells and your molecules and then help you go to places that you otherwise couldn't. And Adam Minder states, it seems likely that even many people who will never go into space will benefit from the work that you and others are doing in trying to figure out how to make people more resilient in extreme environments. Christopher Mason states, very much so. Even things like if you're doing radiation therapy for cancer, figuring out ways to have the adjacent regions be protected is something that helps everyone. Adam Minner replies, well, how are how other public officials that you work with at, say, NASA, reacting to the possibility of engineering humans for space? Christopher Mason replies, it's too early because the technologies are only a few years old. Is this something we're going to do next year or even in five years for astronauts? No, and I don't think that we should. But are we doing it now in my lab for cancer patients? Yes, because they don't have as much time. These cancer patients are staring the Grim Reaper right in the face. Astronauts should have a long, full life. Right now, we don't know enough about these technologies to use them on astronauts. In the book, I propose most of it starting in 2040. Adam Minner states, how is the commercial space sector approaching these ideas? Christopher Mason replies, I think we're just at the bottom of the roller coaster when it starts to ratchet up, getting to take the biggest hill of the ride. 
the momentum is building for us to very soon have a lot more people to go into space than ever before. And eventually, hopefully within a decade or a little bit longer, potentially be on Mars. These are highly trained, super specialized, deeply filtered humans that go up. The commercial space companies are looking at people who are regular Jack and Jills, maybe older, maybe being in less decent shape, might have other comorbidities that might give them a higher risk. As commercial space flight opens up space, it democratizes space. We don't know how a less human fit body will do in flight, but we're going to find out soon. If we do this well and carefully, soon it will be everyone's right. That's right, to add upon we the peoples. And America first rights to claim our dominance and, and supremacy in space, to secure it for everybody else. Because the commie Chinese are not going to secure any of that for you all. Wake up. Now to shift to other perspectives, it came out of the sky. The U.S. releases highly anticipated UFO report. Report says intelligence sources do not think aliens are behind UFOs, but what they are is unclear. In essence, they have no idea whether it's aliens or not. But the mystery of UFOs seen in American skies is likely to continue following the release of the U.S. government's highly anticipated UFO report. The report released made clear that while American intelligence officials do not believe aliens are behind the UFOs, or what scientists prefer to call unidentified aerial phenomenon now, that were observed by Navy pilots, that they cannot explain what the flying objects are. The report confirms that the observed phenomena are not part of any U.S. military operations. The Pentagon studied more than 140 incidents reported by Navy pilots of UAPs, UFOs, seen over the last two decades for the report. Many were seen from the summer of 2014 into the spring of 2015. While the report said that some incidents could be the result of technological errors in sensors or observers, bullshit, it noted that most of the UAP reported probably do represent physical objects since they were registered across multiple sensors. Of course, and satellites, I'm sure. But the only UAP intelligence officials were able to identify with high confidence turned out to be a large deflating balloon. Alright, back to the gassy balloons again. Well, maybe it was, but should that make you feel any better? The only one out of all of those? But the others remain unexplained, the report reads. The release of the report casts a six-month wait since a group of elected officials succeeded in including the Intelligence Authorization Act for fiscal year 2021 in a $2.3 trillion coronavirus relief bill signed by Donald Trump last December. The act ordered government agencies to provide a declassified, detailed analysis of unidentified aerial phenomena, UFO data, and intelligence, and a detailed description of an interagency process for reporting UFOs. In August, the Pentagon resurrected a UFO investigation arm, calling it the UAP Task Force and directing it to detect, analyze, and catalog UFOs that could potentially pose a threat to U.S. national security. The task force and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence authored the report. 
The report notes that only since 2019 has the government had a standardized reporting system for UFOs, so limited data and inconsistency in reporting were challenges in investigations. The limited amount of high-quality reporting on unidentified aerial phenomena, UAPs, again UFOs, hampers our ability to draw firm conclusions about the nature or intent of the UFOs, the report reads. The discussion of UFOs at government level or outside it has been stigmatized for decades. While we have used the UAP materials as fodder for theories on alien life, Officials have pointed to the possible threat of the UAPs, UFOs, being from an adversary using technology unknown to the U.S. Again, they're not learning nothing of that technology or of where it's from. And it definitely may not originate on this planet. They're admitting they don't know. But in this country, we've had incidents where these UFOs have interfered and actually brought offline our nuclear capabilities. Luis Elizondo, the former director of the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, the earlier iteration of the Pentagon's UAP task force, had told the Washington Compost. Elizondo resigned in 2017 out of frustration that UFOs were not being taken seriously enough by defense leaders. Oh, I bet especially those selling this nation out to the commie Chinese. But we also have data suggesting that in other countries, these things have interfered with their nuclear technology and actually turned them on and put them online. While the U.S. government was ordered to publish the unclassified report, experts said that a classified annex, which the public will not see, contains some of the juiciest details. In recent years, the release of government videos showing unexplained flying things have provided firmer evidence that something, alien or not, is out there. Footage from two sightings in 2015 and a third from 2004 taken during training flights went viral online after they were leaked. The Pentagon ultimately confirmed the authenticity of the footage and released them for the public in 2020. One of the videos shows an object resembling a flying spinning top soaring through the air. Look at that thing, one of the pilots can be heard saying in amazement. And I'm sure they say many more expletive things. But this April, more photos and videos taken by the U.S. Navy personnel were leaked online, showing triangular-shaped objects buzzing around in the sky. In May, leaked military footage showed an oval flying object near a U.S. Navy ship off of San Diego, an apparent hotspot for UAPs slash UFOs. But members of the U.S. Navy have seen UAPs frequently. Ryan Graves, a retired pilot, told 60 Minutes Pilots, saw UFOs in restricted airspace southeast of Virginia Beach every day in 2014. Every day for at least a couple years, Graves said. In a statement released... After the report's release, the Republican Senator Marco Rubio, who has been a staunch advocate for investigation in the UAP, celebrated the report, but emphasized that it is just the first step. Yes, but for years, the men and women that we trust to defend our country reported encounters with UFOs and that has superior capabilities, and for years their concerns were often ignored and ridiculed, Rubio said. The Defense Department and intelligence community have a lot of work to do before we can actually understand whether these aerial threats present a serious national security concern. Of course they do! That's why their classified aspects with the juicier details provides them with him being able to say that, but this is just the first step.
In this next article from July 1st of 2021, Alien Invasion. U.S. fighter pilot who witnessed tic-tac UFOs claimed that the craft disabled his weapons in an act of war. A U.S. Navy pilot whose plane filmed the famous tic-tac UFO footage has revealed how his weapon system was disabled during the eerie encounter. Seventeen years on, Lieutenant Commander Chad Underwood said that when he tried to track the target of interest, he began seeing strobe lines on his cockpit radar. UFOs have stepped from a fringe conspiracy theory to a genuine national security debate as the U.S. has admitted hundreds of mysterious encounters in the skies. It followed the Pentagon confirming Mr. Underwood's in-flight tic-tac video from 2004 recorded by his F.A. 18 Super Hornet was authentic. The incident unfolded during a USS Nimitz carrier group exercises off the coast of Mexico. Crew aboard the Ticonderoga-class guided missile cruiser USS Princeton had been spending the past two weeks tracking mysterious aircraft on and off with an advanced AN SPY-1B passive radar. Now speaking to filmmaker Jeremy Corbell, Mr. Underwood has revealed how his weapon system was suddenly crippled after he attempted to track the tic-tac object which was moving at incredible speeds. He said, once I got the target of interest in my radar, I took a lock and that's, and that's when all of the kind of funky things started happening. The erratic nature of the tic-tac, the airspeed was very telling to me, then we started seeing what we call jam strobe lines. Strobe lines are vertical lines that show up on your radar that are indications that you are being jammed. Mr. Corbell's extraordinary interview with Mr. Underwood detailing the act of war UFO encounter will appear in full at a later date. French warplane pilots have also reported their weapons systems being disabled during UFO encounters, according to an official investigation. After releasing the bombshell report... It appears the U.S. Department of Defense is preparing to set up a new unit dedicated to the strange phenomena of UFOs, similar to secret agencies and hit TV show The X-Files in a movie series, Men in Black. DOD officials released a memo which stated that they will now seek to formalize the investigation of UFOs, often now referred to as UAPs. UAPs are currently the main brief of the UAP task force, a body set up after a series of stunning leaked videos show strange encounters between the phenomena and U.S. warplanes. And a memo released by the DOD set out a three-point plan to pull together U.S. investigations to try and work out exactly what these mysterious objects that defy normal understanding could be. The first point states that the DOD wants to synchronize collection, reporting, and analysis of UFOs, UAPs, and to secure military tests and training ranges. And then next, it states it wants to set aside resources and staffing to continue to probe, seemingly confirming the establishment of a formal office. Finally, it states that there must be a coordination between all arms of the U.S. military and the intelligence services on the issue. That's common sense. DOD staff will also have to report an apparent encounter with the UAP within two weeks to allow it to be more properly investigated, the memo reads. It was signed off by the Deputy Secretary of Defense, Kathleen Hicks. The move is a major win for campaigners who have been calling on the U.S. to take the issue of UFOs more seriously and is being sent as another step on the road to potential disclosure. But most of the sightings bear similarities since the some are tic-tac-shaped while others are triangular or circular.
So things are only getting more real, folks, as we make our faith to the Martian revelation. And our upcoming guest soon, Mr. Stephen Bassett, will have plenty to say on what he thinks and feels and believes and knows of what all this is leading toward. Please, everyone, support him to help him to continue to help us along the way for this disclosure process. There's many more articles I would like to read on this. I'll just finish up with this one. As is pertinent in dealing in detailing with these issues with the commie Chinese and the race that we're in. And also the potential threats to our national security from all of the above, including the UFOs. Is that the Space Force is to expand its battleground to the moon and its orbit. This from June 24th. The U.S. Space Force believes that it must gear up for a time in the near future when the moon and space around it will become a potential battleground for protecting the interests of the United States. Think, people. Read between the lines of where all this is being pointed to. But both Russia and China have plans to build a strong presence on the moon, plus there may be other mineral treasures yet to be unearthed on the Earth's tide maker. The time is fast approaching for the Space Force to build its warfighting capabilities in this near-Earth theater, according to a new report released on June 23rd of 2021 by the Air Force Research Laboratory, titled A Primer on Cislunar Space. Operating spacecraft beyond geosynchronous Earth orbit poses unique challenges, Colonel Eric Felt. AFRL's Space Vehicles Directorate said in a statement, As commerce extends to the moon and beyond, it is vital that we understand and solve those unique challenges so that we can provide space domain awareness and security, Felt added. The term cislunar space refers to the region that contains the Earth, the moon, and is seen by the world powers as the next strategic foothold for surveillance, economics, and warfighting dominance on our home planet. As well as protecting our home planet, though, huh? But in other Space Force news, later this year, the newly minted branch will begin to take over the operation of 11 Navy narrowband communication satellites. The Space Force also will absorb Army, will absorb Army units that currently operate military communication payloads, as Space Force officials said. The transition scheduled to begin in October is designed to create a more integrated U.S. military SATCOM enterprise, which for decades has largely been a loose federation, said Colonel Matthew Holston, commander of Space Delta 8 at Shriver Air Force Base in Colorado. Meanwhile, a multi-orbit network of space sensors that can detect and track both ballistic and hypersonic missiles will also be scheduled to be deployed by the Space Force as part of the Defense Department's Space Development Agency and Missile Defense Agency. Some of those in the UFO community believe that this is also meant to keep an eye on E.T. and his various flaps of visiting UAPs. Again, I think the listeners here can appreciate the ingenuity of those thoughts. But finally, Chief of Space Operations General Jay Raymond recently said at a recent congressional hearing that the Space Force was also developing a robust program for directed energy weapons in order to protect U.S. satellites against directed energy attacks from Russia and China, and I will say off from any UFO UAPs. So what do you people think on that? So the glimpses in your vision of all the news that we just went over is very compelling as we all must wake up now and face the reality of what we're in, and now we must make our fate, and we have to fight to make our fate to usher in the Martian revelation and beyond.
especially for a we the people and to make America first in so many regards and establish space as our foothold on our infrastructure the rest of the world should follow. Not with the commie Chinese, because none of us will be allowed to follow. When a race for our very survival, and that's why it's so important of what they're racing toward, to slow us down, to help destroy this nation for them to get that high ground. Because he who controls space controls the earth and the survivability and interests of various nations and their interest in space. Alright, so I guess that being said, it's high time to go to a break and come back and introduce our guest, Stephen Bassett, as he chimes in on with us in regards to his thoughts about what's going on and how things are going on, the way it's going on, and what may happen next of what's going to go on. But until then, I would like you all, everyone, to please go to www.facesofmars.com. That's www.facesofmars.com. That's right. Scroll on down the page, see the information about tonight's guests, Stephen Bassett, and then uh, Robert Morningstar. Check out the page and their links. And please be sure, again, to please hit that big red, white, and blue American donate button. Because without you, America and Americans, our place in space will not be secured as we're already in a war for a very survival, but many still not yet are aware of that reality. So again, your donation support actually helps continue the Martian revelation coming forth to you and to those down through time. So I guess with that being said, listeners of this show can appreciate we got a motto here, pack them and smoke them, because you're definitely going to need them when we come back. On the Martian Revelation. I'll be back. Don't run. We are your friends. Imagine that everything the U.S. government has told you about UFOs since Roswell has been a lie. Imagine that in the decade after Roswell, the government attempted communication with the aliens and succeeded. And after that, in absolute secrecy... Things had gone far, far beyond this. Now imagine that tomorrow, the whole secret program is going to fall apart, and every terrible thing is going to come out. All we have left now is a prayer. Morning Star Pass, the collapse of the UFO cover-up, a fictional but unflinching and terrifying look inside the UFO cover-up, the secret government that supports it, and the world of the aliens themselves, and then how the whole secret kingdom ends. Morning Star Pass, a book that pulls no punches and does not sheath the sword unblooded. Morning Star Pass, plunging boldly where no other book has ventured, captures the whole wondrous nightmare that the UFO experience has become, from bizarre experiments performed on helpless abductees to horrifying mutilations to beyond to the world of secret government supported by its own secret police to the aliens in their secret bases and finally to the beckoning stars themselves the book does this by placing the cover-up humanity and the earth and the real cosmos where humanity and its passions are a part of the universe not an aberration on it then comes the fall of the cover-up and a climax of violence and desperation to leave the human race facing the multi-hued stars with eyes open and seeking its place in them. The sands of time have run out for the cover-up, for against it, leading an army of investigators and warriors, 
comes Cassandra Chen, beautiful, driven and doomed. Who can save her and us? Haha, <laughs> you'll have to read it to find out. Morningstar Pass, the collapse of the UFO cover-up by Victor Norgard. Get yours today. You can find this at www.firstbooks.com.
Ain't that right? Tell me, do you believe in scary little green men? Their reality is upon us more than you know. But now that you packed them and smoked them, welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Legier, the Martian Villa, known also as the Mad Martian. And of course, you're listening to the Martian Revelation. That's upon you all still again now. So let's introduce our return guest, Stephen Bassett. And Stephen Bassett is a political activist, disclosure advocate, and the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group, or PRG, founded in 1996 to end the government-imposed embargo on the truth behind extraterrestrial-related phenomena. He has spoken to audiences around the world about the implications of, quote, disclosure, unquote, the formal confirmation by heads of state of an extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race. He has lectured around the world on the political implications of UAPs slash ET phenomena and given over 1,200 radio and television interviews. PRG's advocacy work has been extensively covered by national and international media, including being featured on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, and in the Washington Post and New York Times. In 2013, PRG organized and conducted a citizen hearing on disclosure at the National Press Club in Washington. In November of 2014, PRG launched a two-year political initiative out of Washington, D.C. that injected the ET issue into the 2016 presidential campaign. PRG recently launched a new exopolitical podcast out of Washington, D.C. called The Disclosure Wire based in the National Press Building, two blocks from the White House. And Stephen Bassett has appeared in many documentary films as well, and his lectures and interviews are well represented on YouTube. So everyone, I would like you all to please click on the link to his website there for Paradigm Research Group, as well as also for his link to the Disclosure Wire. And under that link to the Disclosure Wire, you all could click on the preliminary assessment of the unidentified aerial phenomenon, which was dated June 25th of 2021. And definitely with this release is what spurred my contact and Stephen about this release to discuss at what point and how important it is for what is happening now with that release and where it is going and where we are to go with it. And thank you very much, Stephen, uh, for returning on the show here with us, sir. And uh, it's great to have you on. And uh, happy 4th in celebration of our independence and our freedoms and our rights. And hopefully we have both to apply to this disclosure process. So what is your ideas and thoughts, sir, on the impact of that release from June 25th? Uh, evening, Gary. Uh, the the uh, report is just part of a much larger, more complex process, uh-huh. which is essentially political. Your listeners probably know that getting a major bill passed in the House and Senate can be extremely complicated. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of this stuff goes on behind the scenes, so you don't even really follow it that much. But even the ones that are not well known, it can be pretty complicated. But when you get a major controversial bill, like we've got one now, right. the uh, infrastructure bill and so forth, you see what it's like. I mean it's an extremely complex process. Well, that's what is going on with respect to the UAP ET issue. It is a complex political process, which I think is, is, is more, more complex than uh, getting a bill through the House and Senate and signed by the president, in right. which the government, uh-huh. uh, because it realizes that the policy of truth embargo is not going to last much longer, 
that that that's run its course. All things uh, end. But that's good news. And right. It's trying to extricate itself out from under this uh, this truth embargo, which is 74 years. And it's awkward because in order to maintain the truth embargo, which is a legal policy, hmm. the government's had to lie constantly, just over and over and over and over and over again for decades. Uh, but lying in service to national security, I think most of the public understands, yeah, that happens. Right. <laughs> but on this issue, which a lot of people are interested in, it's it's not like nuclear weapons or something. And there's a phenomenon going on that people can follow for themselves that lie is increasingly become irritating and also damaging and so they're having to get out from under it now the thing the thing what triggered ultimately this need this uh, necessity to get out from under this truth embargo was the work of thousands of people journalists researchers and activists and, uh, and so forth, including contactees, going back seven, 74 years to Roswell. But in a 65-day period, 2017, mm-hmm. two things happened. The To the Stars Academy was announced, and we were able to see the people on that organization. We're all national uh, security people, military intelligence complex. And then they provided some information to the New York Times, which subsequently resulted in two major articles on the front page, December 16, 2017. Now, were they supposed to come out with that, or did they do that on their own? Because, you know, some people are saying that, you know, these things are being leaked. Well, they're being leaked by people that are working with these groups. How is that a real leak? Or does that make sense? Well, first of all, you can't. You don't leak legal material. Right. If something right. that can be legally put forward, it's not a leak. Uh, no, this was not a leak. It was, but it was, it, it it was coming from a civilian organization set up specifically to provide that information. And I'm not saying it was a leak, right? Because people actually working inside the Department of Defense of the CIA simply could not do this. So ultimately what we had there was a reflection of the fact that a growing number of people within the military intelligence complex itself uh, had arrived at the same conclusion, and that is that this truth embargo needs to end. Uh, but they, it, it wasn't going to be a formal policy of the DOD. It was a private enterprise. I think they put it together uh, by figuring out who could be part of this, this civilian organization uh, they had to be out of the government. They had to be essentially not necessarily retired, but they're not under government payroll. Uh, and, and, of course, they had to follow all the rules and everything. But nevertheless, as a civilian organization, they could deliver three declassified gun camera clips to the New York Times. But someone working at the DOD could not do that. Right. Elizondo declassified them. The day after he left the DOD, he, he, he joined the TTSA. Mellon got the uh, actual clips. He wasn't working for the DOD at the time, and uh, he provided them to the New York Times and the other stores. Those two events in 2017 have triggered over 1,000 news articles since. I, I can barely keep up in archiving these news articles. I just put 90 up on my site, and I'll probably load that tomorrow morning. Uh, over 1,000 articles and all kinds of other activities. 
and it is this three-and-a-half-year period that, that has been going on, slowed down by the political circumstances and the pandemic, when this process is trying to work itself out. Now, what makes it particularly complicated is that it wasn't like everybody connected to this issue got together and said, let's start, let's start to move forward. Let's create this organization, TTSA, Two Stars Academy, right. and so forth. No, no, no. This group just turned up. And a lot of people said, where do they come from? They didn't know. The DOD front office didn't know. CIA, I don't think, knew. That there they were. Big surprise. Um, and, they, and there were probably a lot of people inside the military intelligence complex that were saying, well, we gotta, we got to stop this right now. I mean, we got to stamp this out. This is not good. This is going to create a problem. Now, is it but only before- because of their lies? Or is there much more information that they really know that this – would ultimately come out that they really don't want known because you mentioned the well, lies, I, I, so of course they want to I cover put, their ass. Let me put it another way: uh-huh. those people who work inside government, still military intelligence community, DOD services, CIA, all the usual uh, uh, you know acronyms uh, that didn't they want this truth embargo to continue? They right. don't want it to end. Obviously, look, uh, saw the TTSA as a serious problem, threat to this policy. But before they could really get their act together and perhaps find a way to uh, stop this, the New York Times already had the articles and they were already printed. And that was it. There was no going back after that. Now, since then, as we go forward the next, from, from December 2017 until now, which is three and a half years, right. what you've been seeing happening – is this agency and that entity and this former CIA director and this scientist and this person, whatever else, are starting to get the picture. Oh, oh, and yeah, also members of Congress and what have you are starting to see what's going on. So in real time, they're trying to get with the program, which makes it very confusing. Uh, Things are happening, bubbling, popping up all the time. But nevertheless, uh, people are, you know, smart people, connected people, in politics and journalism, military and what have you, are seeing the writing on the wall, and they're trying to get on board what I call the disclosure train. Right. Now, what was the agenda of the TTSA from the banning? Well, now we pretty much know because they've hinted at it, and I think you know, occasionally even literally almost said it, right. particularly Jim Semivan. The agenda ultimately for doing what they did, which they thought when they put this project together, was going to take about six months. That's all. Hmm. But things didn't go the way they had planned. So now we're in our fourth, almost approaching four years. Um, the agenda was do what is necessary to finally get Congress to hold very substantial hearings on the UAP issue uh, based on a national security agenda because it's a legitimate national security issue all right. and get the military witnesses that have been accumulating over these decades – in fact, even pull more of them forward uh, to testify. They would, be the, they would be the principal witnesses testifying in front of the appropriate committees. That was the game plan. Why? Because they knew, as many of us have known for decades, that if we actually had proper hearings, just even focused on the military witnesses, the truth embargo would, would end. It which would, is it would, what it would allow been, the president to disclose. Which yes. is what which is what you've been defending and fighting for even long before the, these issues are now upon us. How does that transform your previous work 
uh, into now, and what opportunities do you see as the shark that you are, sir, of uh, swimming us all through these waters that we must now swim? Well, I've, I've, this is my 95th interview since January 1st, so I'm, I'm doing everything I can to try to give people a picture of what's happening. It's very confusing. Yeah, and most people don't have time to read all one thousand of those articles. Well, let alone or that. Yeah, we, and we were given nine pages for this so-called uh, report. Now I know, you know, I was a little kicked back. Uh, there's no discernation about whether they're of this world or not. That seemed to be a moot issue compared to the national security aspect that they're just focusing on. They're not mentioning little green men, but they're also saying that they don't really know where these are from. But wasn't there supposed to be a much more dumped on us? Because I think that was a concern of yours that uh, I had seen in an email from you and that others are stating. And can you tell us the facts of that and why we only got nine pages? What does that represent? Again, the only way to explain this is people have got to see the, the larger picture. They've got to know. In other words, that report is just a pawn on the chessboard. Right. There are much bigger pieces in play, but that's a piece on the chessboard. Right. Here are the other pieces. Right. As I said, the goal of the TTSA ultimately was to get congressional hearings. In service to that goal, which again, they, they thought might take five, six months to get it done. It's taken almost four years. Right. was a one – uh, briefings had to take place on the Hill. A lot of members of Congress needed to be briefed. That was Mellon's job. So he was taking witnesses up there and others perhaps, and he was briefing many of the key committee members. In other words, he wasn't just briefing anybody. He was briefing people on the Senate Intel Committee, the House Intel Committee, and so forth, because those are the, the committees that would, would hold the hearings. How many briefings we had, we don't know. Could have been 20, could have been 40, who knows. But he, he had two years at least. So he was briefing. These were off-the-record briefings, no press, no press release, uh, which usually means that they're preparing for hearings. Now, there was two years of that. Meanwhile, Luis Elizondo, and you actually could see him doing it on the Unidentified series, that 14-episode series on the History Channel. He was going out and visiting witnesses, taking their testimony. Some of them were on the show. Some of them came on in silhouette. And we learned that because of the New York because of uh, the, these witnesses like Fravor and others coming forward with no problems, mm-hmm. the bar was lowered. In other words, across the entire spectrum of active and retired military and civilian agency people who have a story to tell, they saw that the bar had just been pretty much dropped to the ground and that it was okay to come forward now. Now, not, every, not everybody might have thought that, but a very large number – and they and and so what do you do? Do you, do you run down to the New York Times? Uh, no, that's not that easy. You call Lou Elizondo, and so we believe that scores and scores of military witnesses contacted him, making them potential witnesses. And so these all are people who have happened. worked in the military over the seventy-four year span, they could tell their people story. That, is like what you're saying. Yeah, they have a story to tell, and then you could interview them and and if they had that story was compelling and they had some evidence they could be a potential witness so there was plenty of time to to vet dozens and dozens of witnesses to testify at these hearings so that's another piece on the chessboard but here's another one now members of congress are being briefed right i think in general they weren't supposed to do anything they were supposed to just think about it because uh the pandemic the political craziness and all that kind of stuff just hmm. Just sit on it for now. Let's see how things go. 
but some did take action. Uh, for instance, uh, uh, Mark Walker, who is a Republican congressman, he got kind of excited by the briefing he got, and so he fired off a letter to the Secretary of Navy Spencer saying, you know, what's going on? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Spencer re- replied. It wasn't much of a reply, and then he fired another letter saying, well, that wasn't you know, that didn't enough, and, and uh, he wasn't really supposed to do that, but he got fired up. Oddly enough, Spencer was fired just a week or so later after those two letters, but in any event. He, but, and then a couple members mentioned, yeah, we got a briefing, but no, no, uh, no details. But Marco Rubio, who is a, uh, a big-time Republican senator who clearly wants to be president of the United States, <laughs> and he was at the time the chair of the number one committee in the, in, in the Congress, which is the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. Right. He decided to make a maneuver, and it was brilliant. What he decided to do with or without Mark Warner, the ranking member's assistant, is in July of last year, June, July of last year, he drew up language to go into the Senate Intelligence Appropriations Bill uh, that was put in the comment section as a request from the Intel Committee. Not a legal demand, but rather a kind of a command performance kind of thing. Hmm. Uh, that the a number of agencies... Uh, would bring information to the DOD and the uh, Office of Naval Intelligence, uh, the UAP task force at the Office of Naval Intelligence, which is set up pretty much just to do this. Got maybe one or two people working there uh, to collect information to provide a report within 180 days of the signing of the bill regarding the status of this issue in a number of places and what you're doing and what the organization is. It's a list of things. It's not overwhelming. It wasn't. It wasn't a total, complete analysis of report on what the government knows about ETs, I assure you, right. because that wasn't going to happen. But it was, it was a step forward, but mostly it was a great step for Marco Rubio because, uh, first of all, uh, the bill wasn't signed until December, which puts the 180-day de- deadline into June of this year. It was, in fact, June 25. But the issue was already in play as early as July, and so Marco Rubio got a lot of great press out of this. A lot of positive press and essentially put himself out in front on the issue ahead of everybody else in Congress, House or Senate. In other words, he got out in front of the wave of history here. Brilliant move. So uh, the, 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 the ONI and the DOD knew as early as July of last year, a year ago, that they were going to have to come up with a report, but the actual clock didn't start ticking until December. Right. So – that gave everybody out there time to, again, to start to make decisions about how they were going to play this chess game. And one way I simplify that for listeners is to use a simple metaphor. I call it the disclosure train. When the president finally confirms the ET presence, the, con- the disclosure train is going to leave the station. And it's going to have a lot of people on it. And everybody out there who had anything to say about this issue in the past or any connection to the past or any high-level national security position, agencies, even some scientists, you name it, everybody that someone might want to ask a question of have to make a decision, am I getting on that train or not? Right. And quite a few are. And so you've been seeing that go on. So when a Brennan or former CIA director Brennan or former CIA director Woolsey suddenly turn up in the news saying, well, I – I don't think we can fully explain what those things are. When 20 years ago, they'd have told you, screw it. 
and there's nothing to this. Leave me alone. Um, now they're, they're getting on the train, you see. Uh, there's been a lot of that going on. Okay, but more importantly is the hearings. In other words, how do we get these hearings? Public. It's not enough to just get some big stories in the newspaper. Right. And then, no, you have got to convince the chairs of at least four, possibly six committees in the House and Senate hmm. to actually call for hearings and call for these witnesses to appear. Now, the way you do that is you've got to give them a safe political rationale. And that, of course, has been been, been prepared for the last three years. What's the rationale? It's national security. Right. The national security implications of UAP phenomena. That's it. That's all they needed. So they got that. Okay. But then it's it's like if this thing is going to happen – you know, we, you know, we've had some time for, for like the Navy and the DOD and other agencies to try to show that they're part of part of the solution here, right. that they're on our side. And so he tossed the DOD and the ONI at Navy the perfect opportunity to, 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 to make a favorable move, meaning, OK, you're going to provide stuff to us, classified and unclassified, and everybody's going to see you do that. It's going to be great, and that's going to help you out. And then, of course, that report gives more uh, assistance to the committee chairs to say, okay, Port's has got a lot of interesting stuff in there. We need to have hearings. And so that was unfolding. All of it somewhat slowed down by the pandemic. It, it could have happened much faster if it wasn't for the pandemic. Hmm. And so where it finally ends up is that because of Rubio's maneuver, you, the press had a specific target to focus on for some kind of reports coming from about this issue. Well, it generated press all over the world. Right. All over the world. That's good. That's very, very good. You got that. All right. It, it, it built up a lot of expectation. Now, the expectation exceeded the rules of engagement, but that's all right. All right. So the press covering it, people are paying attention, and now we get down to the deadline. And that's when things start to get a little more complicated. All right. A couple of things were happening. First, and a lot of people don't understand this. The fundamental report was classified and given to the House and Senate on, around June 16th with a briefing. Uh, the FBI was involved in the briefing in the House. I don't know who was involved in the briefing in the Senate, but they've admitted they got the briefing. 73-page report, classified, and that was on the 16th. Hmm. Expect some of that to leak. In fact, one leak may have already turned up. Richard Dolan got it. It's up on his last uh, podcast, Minute 18. Pretty interesting. Damn interesting leak. Okay. Do you, do you have, I say leak. Do you have his yeah, quote? Ahead. Do you have his quote? I did, but somehow it must X out so many damn tabs open, damn it, uh, of, what he, of what he stated about it. Would you have that by chance? Uh, if you give me a little bit of time, I'm talking. Okay. I think I could fish it up. I'm sorry Won't about that. It's just long. relevant. It's, it's relevant no. to the overall oh, yeah. theme. It's plenty relevant. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's see. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling up my uh, Facebook page right now where I where I know I've got a link to it pretty close to the top. Hang on. Uh, so, But there's going to be more – I guess you could say leaks. There's going to be some more really private releases of uh, this – from this classified report, which is the important report. So there was that maneuver, maneuver. but they, on, on, on the other end, they knew they had to put something out in the public. Right. 
as well because there was all this expectation. Yeah. But they, they, they couldn't dump everything out, and, they, and, 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 they, and it, it wouldn't have been a good idea anyway. And so – and I think it's an unforced error, but maybe not. They came up with this nine-page, basically six pages, two, two appendices and a cover called a preliminary assessment, whatever the hell that is. Mm-hmm. And they put that out, uh, and it was unforced error because it would have been better for them just to make a statement saying, look, the, the it, it's going to be another 90 days before we can get a substantial public report out, but we have delivered a substantial uh, classified report to the House and Senate Intel and Armed Services Committees and so forth and so forth. Well, uh, well they made their call. So there was a lot of disappointment, but I wasn't disappointed because I understand What's the moves on? that are being made here and, and where, where they're leading. That's right? why I wanted you to come on. I think you'd be the best person in the knowledge that can uh, help guide us over these waves instead of crashing well, that's my job. us. Right. Yeah, that's my job. And uh, so don't put too much – now, by the way, the report ultimately mm-hmm. – I mean there's some details in there that some people can feast on and that's – but uh, um, oh, wait a minute, I've got it right here. Hang on. Okay, right. I've got it. Up. But uh, mostly, uh, mostly, it uh, was just something to let people know. Okay, here's something. But there were two key things in that report that had already been leaked to the New York Times on June the third. I say leaked, revealed, whatever, okay. and and it confirmed what the New York Times got on June three, twenty two days earlier. And that was the report would show, at least the public report would show, that uh, they – of the 140-some instances they, they, they reviewed going back to 1944, they didn't find any indication of extraterrestrial. OK, fine. And two – That don't that, mean they're looking at the other aspects though <laughs> of important but, reasons. Yeah. And I'll get the other part, second part, which is in this – uh, June 25th report was that uh, the the behavioral characteristics of these objects uh, exceeded the technologies currently in the hands of the United States. Now, both of these are half lies. Uh, and this gets me to a very important point. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the, when I talk about this complex political process in which the government and all and all the agencies and services and everybody else that have been servicing this embargo since 1947 are extric- are extricating themselves out from the truth embargo in such a way as to be responsible and not damage too much and not cause too much confusion, make it easy for the president to disclose and so forth. Right. Okay, they have to lie their way out of the big lie. They can't tell the truth because only the president can tell the ultimate truth. And so they have to head. And, that, and this has been happening with the TTSA. From the day they emerged in, uh, on, on uh, October 11, 2017, they can only say certain things. They can't say everything they know. They're having to hedge it, hedge it, and they, 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 there's, because that is what is necessary. I have no problem with that. They're lying to get out from under the big lie. They're lying to serve a higher purpose to get to the truth. All right? All right. And so when this report says – that 140, we, you know, we couldn't find anything sex terrestrial. Maybe in those 140 reports, there's nothing there that indicates extraterrestrial. 
And so in a sense, that's sort of true. Except for the problem that the U.S. government, meaning the DOD, the Navy, the Air Force, uh, the CIA, and just any other agency you want to know, care about, has known that there's an extraterrestrial presence since no later than 1947. That's 74 years. And then the second thing was that what we observed did not have characteristics in our arsenal. That That may be true and it may not be. Maybe this way. I believe that the United States and maybe some other countries have engineered or re-engineered anti-gravitics based upon what they've learned from crash vehicles. That doesn't mean that they've re-engineered her to the point that they could do what the Tic Tac was doing. It just means that they've got anti-gravitics, our own basic, say, copies, you might say. And so in a sense, it's true, meaning those craft, yeah, that tech we don't have. But that we don't have alien tech or even granovitics? No, they do have that. But they can't say that. And so, okay. So people that understand this history of this issue know, okay, that's not quite true. That's an outright lie. That's true. Whatever. The general public, they have no idea. That's okay. All right. It's all right. So that's that report just mimicked what the, the leak had gone to the, to the New York Times of, uh, on, on June the 3rd. And so where we are now, all right, is this. The House and Senate Intel Armed Services Committee, I don't know, it's about 70 members of Congress, maybe more, mm-hmm. uh, have had the classified report since the 16th. That is um, 18 days. Right. And the House will be in, in service a couple more days than they're going on recess. The Senate left for recess on the 26th, right? And it won't be back till the 12th. Hmm. But then will be in session all the way to August 7th. And so they've had, they're going to have all this time to review this report in great detail without anybody bothering them. But by the same token, there is plenty of time between now and August 12th when they come back online for more of it to, how would you say, make its way into some major papers. And so, and 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 also another announcement of importance is the ONI has indicated that there was going to be another report coming in ninety days. Well, good for them, right? Yeah, you mean and, after uh, after the twenty fifth release? You're talking about? Yeah, another report in ninety days okay. from the twenty fifth, and uh, uh, it wasn't clear whether that's going to be another classified report or whether that's going to be a big uh, uh, unclassified report uh, with more. Half truths and semi truths and lies, but the point is that I I, I think that they're a, a, a little over optimistic because uh, I think this issue is going to blow long before that quote next report in ninety days because too much of that classified report is going to get out and I think there's enough in that classified report to basically set the hair on fire of every major publisher in the country, certainly at all the major papers, Boston Globe, New York Times, Washington Post. I'm working on the Post. Other people are working on other papers. The, the social media is on fire. Podcasts are rocking and rolling. Uh, this is not going to go away. It's not going to turn around. This is not 1969. And again, but, all of this is to bring forth public hearings? Correct. Which obviously you will be a part of. Not the initial ones. The initial hearings will be almost certainly strictly for military witnesses, like Fravor and okay. so there are many of them. Uh, and the focus will be national security. 
we know all the aspects of this issue, but a lot, but the one that is most politically safe is national security, and there are plenty of witnesses to that. Now, military witnesses is the best kind because one, they take an oath when they sign up to serve, then they take another oath when they sit down in front of the committee. They're double oathed. Plus, their records are known. They, you have a full record of their service, right. where they were, what they did. Civilian witnesses, it's not like that at all. And so these are the most powerful witnesses, and I assure you none of them are going to lie right. in front of Congress. And so that – and what, what is the point of all of that? Remember, I'm going to remind your audience again. You would be stunned at how many people on Capitol Hill – in staffers, maybe even in Congress, at the CIA, at the, you know, the ONI, the Navy, the Air Force, all, how many people know one way or another? That, of course, there's an extraterrestrial presence. We had craft. We had craft as no later than than July '47. Roswell was a crash vehicle. We had dead bodies. Well, that so, that ups the ante because that's the thing of bodies. And uh, Colonel Corso, uh, which I know you're well familiar with. And that scenario, for those that have followed that history and potential, how that would fit in in any of these uh, public hearings, that opens the door for those people who have seen or witnessed or anything to even come forth safely, correct? Eventually. Eventually. The, the, the reason that, for these okay. initial hearings We're not up to is not yet. to get a whole bunch of information out or explain the history of this issue, not at all. Okay. The re- reason for these hearings, which which are not going to be the one day hearings of 19, hearing of sixty eight or sixty nine, right, right. or sixty six rather. So I mean that was like fifty three years ago was the last time we had hearing. It lasted one day. I think it had four people testify. Huh. No, 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 no. We're talking dozens and dozens of witnesses over many days. All right, possible multiple committees. We're talking millions and millions of people watching them. Uh, public. These are the public portion, okay? Mm-hmm. So the reason for these hearings is to produce a substantial amount of very powerful testimony like the Nimitz event, the Roosevelt event, and a whole lot more right. based on national security that the president can watch along with the rest of Congress and the American people together. And then at some point, the president is going to be literally handed – the ability to do what we've been trying to get all these years hmm. in a very politically safe and responsible way, meaning the president can then go in front of the American people and say these these words. Uh, like you, my fellow Americans, I have been watching this extraordinary testimony for these many days, right. and I have conferred with my my people over at the Pentagon. I've conferred with top congressional leaders about it. And we have arrived at the consensus that this testimony clearly indicates that there is technology operating which is not human. It is off-world uh, and is extraterrestrial in origin. And that is disclosure. That is the purpose of these hearings is to get disclosure. Why is it got to be that way? Because the only way we're going to get to Roswell and dead bodies and contactees and God knows everything else yeah. that people in this field know about is after disclosure. You cannot get there before disclosure. Once the confirmation is in place and the lid's off the pot, now it's possible to look in that pot and see what's going on. And so after the president makes 
a makes the announcement, the disclosure announcement, the confirmation. Yeah. A few days of chilling out and relaxing will take place, and then the committees will start calling more hearings. And now the witness um, pool starts to expand and will likely get into some of the civilian researchers and activists and so forth uh, and in other areas. And these other areas are where the really interesting and very challenging stuff uh, for the government to deal with are going to come out. But because it's in the post-disclosure area with the entire world just absolutely excited and thrilled about this new information and that we're not alone in the universe and all that, there's not going to be that much, I don't know, a pushback, not pushback, but a kerfuffle over the details of the truth embargo. The truth embargo will be old news right. and we'll be in a new world. Now, you try to bring that kind of stuff up now? If, if, if Mellon had gone up to the Hill and talked with some committee people and said, look, we need to get some contactees up here, hold a hearing about contact. Not a chance in hell. That's thrown it's okay. Cart. It's all right. It's all right. Cart in front of the horse, right? You got it. So now, now you understand the the process underway. How complicated it is. How that June twenty fifth report is just a small pawn on the chessboard. Not a big deal. The because the classified report that was given to Congress uh, fourteen days prior, a much bigger piece on the board. There's other pieces to be played, and also. There is a flanking maneuver going on right now, an interesting one, uh, over at the Pentagon at the Inspector General's office. To thwart or to help? Uh, it's complicated, but let's <laughs> just say that that um, Luis Elizondo came under some fire. Mm-hmm. I guess some, some of the people inside thought maybe they could slow this process, inevitable process down by attacking Lou. Lou, of course, spent 20-some 20, 20 years – uh, undercover in some of the toughest, dang- most dangerous places in the world. Right. And so he's not going to be easily intimidated. So he started pushing back. <clears throat> and before you know it, he- he's got Danny Sheehan as his counsel. And apparently they're in there talking to six, eight, ten, twelve people, uh, in you know, t- 12 high-level people in the IG's office. And there's various things going on. I've heard rumors about Lou is uh, demanding that they re- take back certain statements that have been made. There's also uh, statements about, well, you know, they, 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 they need to be more comprehensive about the report, whatever. But in other words, in addition to the, the media focus on the uh, report and the report from the ONI and the Congress and everything else, there's a thing going on at the IG's office, which is important because the DOD formally announced that they were assigning the uh, the inspector general's office, sort of the uh, is, which is an independent office. In other words, it's not so it operates independently of the of the uh, DOD leadership uh, to give the I guess the process more credibility. But nevertheless, uh, this this flanking thing is going on. So so again, very complicated stuff. Uh, my website, I've got. God, a thousand, I don't know, how, maybe 1,200 articles, all earmarked in red that you could go read going all the way back to October 2017 if you want to become an expert uh, on a mainstream coverage, which has been huge. And then I've got a whole page of uh, 160-some videos of news clips about it as presentations by Mel and Elizondo, all that stuff. It's a huge amount of stuff, which which is what you got to do and understand and see and watch if you're going to try to understand this very Hugely complex historical thing happening in which the United States, which has been leading the truth embargo in the Western world, 
since 1946. I don't know what China's plans are. I don't know what Russia's plans are. Um, uh, but just about everybody else is kind of going, okay, America, you, you, you got the lead here. The United States yeah, is trying American to bring attraction. an end to this truth embargo. Yes. Now, uh, all right, so these are the stages. Now, what do you see by the end of the year then, or do you see this going well into the next year? Uh, uh, you know what I'm saying? Of yeah. Things start really heating up with actual hear, uh, hearings and stuff going public. I mean, because the way that it's sounding, well, there's some that are not too happy, and what are the bounds that they may go through to prevent all this? But uh, I'm just thinking out of the box. Well, there are there's there's there are there are those who oppose it, but I'm afraid that they're just outnumbered now. Nice. They're outflanked. Uh, look, there are some very good reasons why these hearings need to happen as soon as possible. Uh-huh. They do not want to put these things off. <clears throat> the uh, I understand that there are things that are happening, and I, I would have liked to have seen it happen faster. But let's face it, the situation politically uh, did not settle out as fast as we wanted. Uh, I don't think anybody now. expected the Capitol to be overrun and trashed. I thought that was uh, pretty much uh, not something people expected. And then, of course, the pandemic, is it's coming around. Every month it gets a little bit better, but it's still hanging. So, uh-huh. But next year would be a huge mistake. They, they, If they're smart, when both the House and Senate are in session again after the 13th, they really need to get these hearings called for and maybe underway before they go into the big August vacation. That would be good. Uh, or, or at worst, they need to get a lot more done, a lot more media coverage and everything, and pretty much make it clear that they'll, they'll start the hearings when they return in early September. That would be reasonable, but they just they, – they are making an absolutely colossal mistake if they – as they have done for seven decades, not just on the ET issue. Pick an issue, make put it in a can, and, and then go study how that can was kicked down the road for decade after decade. Hmm. We have been kicking cans down the road, and we're really good at it. What we're not good is any getting anything done. And the United States is just a mess. And so uh, this is – but this is one can they cannot kick down the road. And one of the reasons is this. India's got an orbiter around Mars. Right. China's got an orbiter around Mars. Yeah. Israel, I think, is going to the moon. China's going to the other side of the moon. At any time, one of these nations, China, particularly China or uh, uh, Russia, could just end this. Absolutely end it. That's it. They could bring out bodies and their own crash stuff, and they could absolutely lay it cold, and that be that. And whoever that head of state was, they would be the disclosure president, and the United States would be holding the bag. Yeah, which and makes, yet- begs the question, then, why the American attraction, especially with the uh, what's going on to take down America now and the commie Chinese making their moves to secure space uh, during our lull and our, uh, well, turtlenecks now pay speed policy while they forge ahead why wouldn't they you bring up a good point why wouldn't they bring forth this information uh why wouldn't they uh i can give reasons why they wouldn't and give them reasons why they they would the point is they could and and something else look if if the congress can get hearings at least underway right and millions of people are watching these witnesses testify, powerful testimony, 
everybody's on could be on good behavior. There's no reason to politically posture this or play stupid games. It's a nonpartisan issue. It's national security. Right. So everybody can be on their best behavior. Everybody's looking good here. I mean that's that's intentional. Okay. This is a this is a public relations driven extrication process. Hmm. Uh, but at least we got the hearings underway. And another head of state beat us to the brass ring, it wouldn't be as bad. It would show that, hey, we were we were getting there. We were practically there, and okay, they went first. But if we don't have the hearings underway, all we've got is a bunch of news clips and, and these current efforts. I'm afraid that history is not going to be kind to the United States. Not at all. And we're going to lose a huge amount of geopolitical position. And so I, I tell this all the time. I'd love to be able to say it face-to-face to, to members of Congress, but it's hard for me to get in front of them face-to-face. I don't have the, the gravitas, the, the curricula vitae. I get it. I understand. Uh, but I say it to everybody else I can, and I'm working on certain media, but it's a simple statement. Either get those hearings underway or be prepared to be left in the dustbin of history. It's that simple. All we'll have to re- – we'll ha- what history will say is the United States led a 75-year truth embargo, lied to the entire world every single day of the week yeah. for 75 years, kept the most profound information in all of history from its own people – Secret labs, secret research, underground facilities, and on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And the president of, I don't know, Kazakhstan (laughs) was the head of state who finally confirmed, oh, yeah, no, there's been ETs here all along. And and so that's that's where we get, and then President Kazakhstan gets all the glory. So so these people need to expand their thinking, broaden their mind. By no means listen to anything that comes out of the mouth of Neil deGrasse Tyson and realize that they're involved in something unbelievably profound and they either get on it or history will crush them. Yeah, I I heard uh, he was spazzing out about all of this. Is that true? He's he's (laughs) bad. He's going to – let me put it this way. He's going to have a lot of explaining to do, though I am quite sure that the moment that the president confirms the ET presence, Neil will immediately go on Twitter and announce that he's one of the leading experts in the world on the extraterrestrials. I wouldn't be surprised at that. Now, here's here's a factor. I don't know if it's relevant enough in the moment uh, to consider. Uh, Robert O'Dean once said that, you know, sooner or later, like you said, or some other governments will, or that these uh, intelligent beings themselves will make themselves known. Do you think what's going on now and uh, the escalation of sightings and their presence here being seen by more people and it becoming public now it could be because of a timetable of this intelligence who is actually, uh, well, trying to pull uh, in control of the strings as it was? Or is that too far-fetched to even determine at the moment? Just slightly overstated. I think... I think the ETs do have an agenda, and I think they've been somewhat facilitating this process leading to disclosure. Mm-hmm. But it seems pretty clear that <clears throat> they intend to leave the actual disclosure event to us. Okay. Well, then that would now, how long their patience? How long their patience will last? I, I don't know. Well, right. Especially you know when we're considering all these goofy plans around the planet and commie takeover attempts and these plans, it seems pretty nefarious and. Uh, it doesn't take a genius to see that not only are we trying to be softened up, uh, but other nations as well, especially if you have mass kill-offs to the plans of what these people are openly state. You know, Alex Jones was right, you know, that 
what they want to do to the public. Could it be on behalf of these beings? But if so, then why take so much care in this process to reveal themselves? It it brings up many questions and issues. I'm sure uh, you think about this shit all the time. What is your I try to keep things that? as simple as I try to th- keep things as simple as possible. In other words, I don't want to turn a three to chess, a three-dimensional uh, chess game into a four-dimensional chess game. <laughs> yeah, I can appreciate that. We got enough problems here dealing with this. Hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So, so, and your opinion and prediction is that definitely uh, things should definitely get start moving here this year, or like you said, other nations might just step up, and uh, well. The smear of the egg, but why the American attraction? Why the American leadership and the dictating what they will or will not do? Oh, who is they? Who are you uh, referring the, to? That? Of, Who's other the world leaders and whoever. Uh, well, look, the truth embargo begins in the forties and fifties. Well, that and I understand. Here. We 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 were a key player in feeding the Axis powers, and then after the war, we were the only nuclear power for a while. And then it became clear to the entire and, – and all our allies were already grateful to us. I mean we had – we had made great friends and Germany was grateful to us for rebuilding Germany. Japan was grateful for rebuilding Japan. Um, but um, um, so they were going to go along with our approach to this. That shouldn't surprise anybody. And then as time went by, it was even more clear that we were the only nation that had the power – to hold the Soviet nuclear threat at bay. Right. Hey, I mean, it's that simple. Other nations got nuclear weapons, but nobody questioned who was the, the largest nuclear power. And so, again, you're talking about nuclear war. You're talking about end of civilization. And so, uh, our, the Western world, the near Western world, was more than happy for us to lead on this matter and a lot of other things. Now, that wasn't the case with the Communist Chinese Party or the, or the Soviet Union. Uh-huh. They had their own reasons for sitting on this. Uh, and all I can say is they could, they could act at any time. And I, and I don't know how many times I have to say this. I've right. probably said it a thousand times, maybe two thousand times. I don't know. Uh, I've, I've, tried, I've tried to get that into the news. I generally don't put that into any articles, any of the interviews I've done. They just don't put it. It, it, got, into a, <laughs> it got into Sputnik. It got, got into some Russian publications. Uh, but again, I hope that I'm going to start getting more coverage here shortly. And, I'm, I'm, and I am trying to reach out to some people on the Hill now because it's getting pretty hot. And if I can get in there, one of the points I'm going to make is, look, guys uh, – you, if you drag your feet on this, if you if you keep coming up with excuses, well, we'll put it off another month or two or three or four or five months, uh, you could end up really uh, at the back of the bus. Um, yeah. uh, there's a lot at stake here. Uh, you, you, if you want America to lead, you'd better be damn sure it leads on this issue. Do you think and that so, if we do present yeah. it – I'm sorry, sir. Do you think that if we do present right. it in that way – that uh, you're seeing and how it should be done, will that affect the geopolitical positioning of what the stance now? At, basically, we're in a war with China, commie China, and no one could convince me otherwise by the actions and what they're pulling and, uh, and, uh, and the race and the fast pace that they're trying to achieve that supremacy in space. 
And what would the Space Force know? Would they be a part of this at all, sir? And especially since they're a new type of branch, I don't know. Would the same things apply for their testimonies? And the fact that they're now going to make the moon in its orbit uh, a battleground position. Uh, I, you know, to defend the Earth or to defend, you know, threats coming to the Earth or, or from the Earth, vice versa, both apply. I mean, how do you see any of that mixing in with with all this? Uh, will you think that would create many more boots to be enlisted by these proceedings? <laughs> um, hmm. uh, we have always had a classified space program. Right. So there's no shock there. Uh, there's always been concern about the issue of weapons in space. Uh, efforts to get any treaties uh, preventing weapons in space have pretty much failed. There may be a couple of small agreements or something, that, uh, yeah. but overall we haven't dealt with it. Right. Uh, the Space Force was just formed not too long ago, and its its origin was – how would you say? A little flimsy. Done like uh, how these UAP UFOs are coming out. <laughs> yeah, so it, no, with no egg on no one's face, just to bring them public and make it like it's something new, like it's never been seen before. Uh, yeah, yeah. Again, I I can't really speak to what the space force will space force will do or not do. Right, right. now, it's a new ornament mm-hmm. uh, on the DoD's facade. Uh, money, some money's been put into it, like but that that's no different than putting money into the classified space program or the military space program. It's just now it has a more front-forward face. It is definitely a hook upon which militarists who believe that war is pretty much the answer to everything. Right. And if you're not in a war, what are you doing? Right. What What's the point? Uh, they They might try to use that hook to hang. A militaristic perspective on this. I assure you, that's all going to be watched very, very carefully. Right now, the space force is not a, uh, I think, a particularly significant factor in, in getting these congressional hearings. That doesn't mean they couldn't make a move. It doesn't mean that some, but one of the committee chairs may say, "Let's bring in ten witnesses, all from the space force, to give us testimony why the space force should get another trillion dollars because these UAPs are extraterrestrial. We have to prepare to defend ourselves." Yes, uh, they might do that. It would be one of the stupidest things any group of politicians have ever done in the history of the human race, but they might. I do not underestimate ever again, and we'll never underestimate ever again, the kinds of stupid things that American politicians will do. Because every time I think I've seen the worst, they get worse. But that said, this is part of the, the complex chess game. The Space Force is a piece on the board, but it's not moving much right now. It's not where the action is. If you look at all these articles that have been coming out, uh, again, hundreds and hundreds of them, the Space Force is almost never mentioned. Right. It, it may get mentioned in a separate article. So let's just put that one aside for now. Okay. That the witnesses that are likely to testify are not members of the Space Force, as far as I know. All right. It'd be interesting, though, wouldn't it? Huh. What a twist. There are many potential twists. Uh, but we have a simple goal, thank God. Uh, powerful testimony, news coverage, excited people, president confirming the ET presence, post-disclosure world, 
And then we will have to then reset, I guess you could say. And then everybody needs to decide, okay, what do we look at next? What area do we have? What hearing? Because after disclosure, there's going to be lots and lots and lots of hearings, trust me. <laughs> Every committee is going to want to get a piece of the action. Uh, every member of Congress is nothing more wonderful to them than sitting answering, asking questions in a committee hearing with millions, tens of millions of people watching, let me tell you. Right. That's uh. pure gold to them. So there will be plenty of those. And uh, I hope they'll all be conducted well. I hope they'll be serious. I hope they'll be nonpartisan. And I hope that many of my colleagues will have the opportunity to go up on the Hill and, uh, and tell what they know because uh, people are about to learn that the, the researchers and activists and journalists in this field pretty much have had it right for the last 70 years. Right. Not everybody, but yeah. So when they were being lied to by their government year after year after year, you had all these other people in the civilian sector without much resources trying to tell them the truth that they wouldn't accept. And so I think that uh, I think the people in this field will have their day and be treated well and have plenty of opportunity to bring their research forward and will be looked at and and they'll be a part of the post disclosure world and that's fine with me. Yes, indeed. It's, again, it's, it's it's a fascinating time that we live in. Imagine our family members, parents, and everything if they were alive. Uh, Hard to envision those who have passed what they would have thought of the things that we're able to see now and potentially uh, thereof experience and go to and what could be opened up from this knowledge of them. Now, there are reports of, you know, French and other vehicles and other nations engaging these crafts, crafts being lost, lives being lost, therefore subtle hints and subtle disclosures that obviously our soldiers or our uh, guardians, as it was, or our troops have also experienced the same thing without saying it, um, and be able to turn off weapons uh, or jam uh, their targeting uh, systems or, uh, or nuclear facilities, for crying out loud. Now... Do you sure. think it's more nefarious that's, of the reasons that exist? That's the real fear factor beyond what it would just do to civilization of why these aspects have been classified. And to overcome it, don't you think that we all should know about it regardless? Because we have to adapt to this reality, in my opinion. We're at a time where we must be told, or am I far out field there as well? The, the uh, odd thing about this is that a great deal of what the testimony will be about, we already know about. Right. The nuclear weapons tampering has been out in the public domain for quite a while. Right. But the major papers and the government won't, major papers won't cover, and the government can't, can't say anything. They haven't. They haven't harmed the witnesses, interestingly enough. But uh, they can't touch that. So, but there's other stuff we, we know. What what we what we haven't got. Not that there isn't more to know, but what's more important here is not the next thing we know. What's most important of all is the president has got to confirm the ET presence. And it now, boils I have, down the, to I, have the, I have the info up in front of me right now. Uh-huh. Here we go. This is what was given to Richard. He, he, he put it out as part of his last podcast, so it's easy to find. Just go to his podcast, Richard Dolan. Uh, he, he says that the source is reliable, that he trusts this person, but he cannot confirm it. So keep that in mind. Right. Uh, but the, the the information has a certain credibility to it. it. It's not much. Let me read it. Given to Richard Dolan. These are all now quotes from what he was told. 
The classified portion of UAP report given to a select number of congressmen and senators, congresspersons and senators, relates to the following. One, energy pulse propulsion system, EPPS projects. Ion propulsion systems, IPS. Anti-gravity propulsion systems. Antimatter propulsion systems. Ramjet hydrogen propulsion system, ARHPS. Compressed nuclear propulsion system, CNPS. Advanced use of exotic elements for energy research, ET-related items. The K-Song, K-Song Energy Propulsion System Research Project, KEPSERP. All these highly classified projects are under the control of the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, DARPA, and being managed by a classified group called the Advanced Group 6. All funding for these projects is black confidential funds appropriated under the intelligence operations costs. Some funds come from private contractors. Prototypes of flying craft utilizing the above technology are being flown at Area 51 and the Tonopah AFB test range. Some of the UAPs observed in and around Nevada can be contributed, it should be attributed, that's a typo, to crafts using the above propulsion systems. However, none of the experimental craft have flown outside the Nellis test and training range. None of these experimental crafts can be contributed or, again, attributed to the sightings photographed by the U.S. Navy. Now, let me be clear. If that information is correct, right. if the classified report actually presented to them a rundown of all of the advanced propulsion systems being tested by DARPA, and if, the, and if it is true that these systems account for some things seen over the Nellis, which we know about, we know that we've seen stuff there acting uh, very unusual, including anagravitically, that with that fits, but they've never left the test range. This is extremely significant information, yes. and this is just hell. This is just a third of a page. They've got a 73-page report, and so what I'm saying is that given the circumstances, more is coming out. That classified report is a thousand times more important than the public report, the, the, quote, preliminary assessment. And as that comes out, the pressure on the Congress, not just coercing them, but almost just inflaming them. Because, again, believe me, these committee chairs would love nothing more than to make some history and be seen by hundreds of millions of people holding the most important congressional hearings in, in, in the history of the United States. But, again, they need to get over the, I guess you could say, the, the, hit the critical mass. But this is the kind of stuff that allows that, and we're just getting started here. Huh. So, again, there's, there's really no reason why we shouldn't be in hearings uh, before the next, uh, you know, before the August, frankly, before the August uh, recess, which if things got hot enough, they might actually shorten it. They may say, look, we're going to have to hold everybody over, or certainly when they return – in early September. To delay hearings past that would be just absolutely, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, boy, sometimes I just can't find the word. It, it could be a catastrophic mistake. Hmm. Do you think that uh, these hearings could force or compel discovery of these type of technologies that you just read of, 
of which uh, is being, uh, you know, done at Area 51? Or does that door easily could still remain closed? Uh, I think the door just got opened. If that leak, if, if this information is correct, it just got opened. Then, I, I happen to have a suspicion uh-huh. that one of the reasons there is a growing group of people within the military intelligence complex that want to end this truth embargo is because they have got an absolute gold mine of fantastic projects that they've done. And to be honest, they really would like the world to know it. Right? All this business about we have to keep it secret, 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 secret. Because because if we somehow it gets out, the Russians are going to have – look, the Russians already know about these programs. Oh, yeah, and according we to – We spend Turner. billions of dollars spying on them. They spend billions of dollars spying on us. Same thing with the Chinese. Let me tell you, right. the only people that don't know about these damn programs are the American people, <laughs> by and large. The Russians know, the Chinese know. And according and so, and to so Corso, he, he, uh, according to Corso – you know, the purpose was to eventually get these technologies out to hopefully be able to use as an edge uh, against ultimately where this is all being derived from, no? Not exactly. Okay. Uh, and th- this was a long time ago, and the technologies were of a different type, not not that big a deal. Uh-huh. You know, Roswell craft stuff, that craft wasn't particularly that sophisticated. No, it was to help give a, maybe give a little edge to some of our... I don't. I don't think it, it gave us the edge that the book seemed to imply. It was a little overstatement there, but it was not an unreasonable idea. Right. Uh, and they, they 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 claim that the stuff they were providing was uh, to help out our our uh, our our uh, corporate tech was uh, was from foreign sources like maybe the Russians, Soviets, or something. Uh, no, th- this is different. This is these programs would be the highest level propulsion programs. Uh, and uh, uh, that we have. Uh, and remember, one of them is anti-gravitic. Maybe Elon Musk, uh, if all this comes out quick enough, he could transition from all these raptors to switch up to the next big thing, which would help him and his uh, vision for we the people, no? Or was that far-fetched? Well, Elon has a problem, and if stuff really came out, he might discover the government's already 50 years ahead of him and his entire... <laughs> His entire SpaceX is uh, old news. Yeah. Uh, but whatever. I mean, he'd be a victim in that sense of the truth embargo. Though they might be kind to him and immediately draw him into some of the – I don't know. I'm not worried about Elon Musk, I assure you. But uh, uh-huh. again, this simple statement here, uh-huh. which is – it's not overly sophisticated. I mean it doesn't have the kind of things in it that you say, oh, man, only somebody really tight – but it's it's well written, and the stuff that it's referring to is seem to be referred to appropriately. I notice that it's almost all propulsion systems. Not about the energy. There is only one energy related uh, reference here, and that's advanced use of exotic elements for energy research. Right. Uh, because remember, there's two texts here that we're most interested in: propulsion and energy. Yes. Um, so we'll see. But the other statements about they're trying to make it clear. That, okay, yeah, we're doing this stuff, but the stuff that was being seen by the Nimitz and the Roosevelt and elsewhere, that's not ours. We don't leave this test range, which, by the way, makes complete sense. If you are developing exotic craft like this, you don't fly them over Arizona. You don't fly them over our carrier groups. You don't fly them anywhere. 
that people can see. You keep them on the nest test range, and if people start to snoop out there, you buy up more land and shove the public even further to the to the to the north and the, and the east, which is exactly what they did. So this makes total sense. And potentially so, uh, hiding them from uh, the potential adversaries not of this earth as well. While we could well, no, no, test, you can't right? hide them from the from the ETs. ETs, oh, they, you they can't know hide anything then. from the ETs. Yeah, no, 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 no. The ETs are not the issue here. Uh-huh. The e- no, no, they, 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 their, their, their nuclear weapons tampering is probably the most significant technology or national security related matter, and and those witnesses, and there are many, almost certainly will be testifying at the initial hearing. They'd wow. be insane not to include them. Right. I'm trying to get the press to get get on that early. So that the, the, all this gets out in major papers before then. It's been it's been covered before, but I mean covered like the New York Times has been covering things right now. But uh, but but overall, uh, this is about ending the truth embargo. And and I like to reiterate what I said earlier. Mm-hmm. I just know there's a whole lot of people at DARPA and out at Tonopah and you know uh, uh, maybe even at. Um, uh, oh, that other that other key base. There's so there's so many. And Wright Patterson, and uh, some of these other key bases that have been working on these amazing projects. I think they would be they would think it would be pretty cool if the world actually found out what they've got here, what they've done, what they've accomplished. And it'd be enough to win any space race and make America first and great. Uh, correct? What do you think? Uh, no, I don't see it that way. And and I don't. I hope they don't see it that way. Uh-huh. The days of who is first and who is greatest are slowly fading away. They are an illusion. They've always been an illusion. Well, uh, the you know this whole idea there can be only one. And I made for an interesting movie, The Highlander. But the point is, this is not a oh, zero sum game, uh-huh. right? Nobody is going to rule the solar system. Period. Right. Nobody's going to own the moon. And as far as economies go. We should be rejoicing that other countries that have had in, that have been way behind are starting to catch up, starting to make great progress, and have viable economies. Uh, this idea that you know, we have to have the best economy and everybody else has to be, you know, well, whatever they can do, no, because if the world doesn't have a viable economy, there will be so many billions of people in distress that they will eventually come for you, and so you'll have a wonderful economy. And you'll have a hundred million people running up and down your streets, dragging you out of your wealthy homes, out of your big corporations, and then hanging you upside down and setting you on fire. Well, we cannot afford the luxury right, right. of having uh, uh, a, a, a huge technology gap or right. a financial wealth gap on this planet. We can't even afford the luxury of having that in our own country. And so we need to get out of this who's first, who's the greatest, and rather how can we work together to produce the safest planet, the mo- the best economy, how can we properly negotiate our engagement of the solar system? And, and I would make the point that the one thing that will get us going in that direction, the one thing that will get us off this old way of thinking and into a another way of thinking, a 21st century way of thinking, a maybe even interstellar way of thinking, uh-huh. is the open contact by extraterrestrials ah. it could very well follow finally getting the disclosure event uh, I thought, you, out of I the thought way. you were going to say the Reagan-esque uh, you know 
no, ramps no. of what, you know, if they were a threat and how we would all come together, would it take that type of scenario? But obviously, you know, you're right. I see you going in another direction. So I, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. I don't blame Reagan. I look, at that period, that time, that time frame, I get it. It's, a, it's somewhat of a valid point. There's right. only one problem. <laughs> if they really were a threat, we we'd should come gone. together all we want. We'd be I mean, we already. could be so tight, you wouldn't imagine. We could share all of our information and build all our weapons together. We wouldn't have a snowball's chance in hell. Right. And, and or we can't we win. And or we would have already been lost. Uh, uh, yeah, right. right. I mean, that's just the truth of it. I mean, it's the nature of physics. Right. People say, oh, no, 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 there's a way. There's always a way. No, 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 no. There's always a way in the movies that we make and watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? But not in the real physics world. Those who are interstellar and those who are not are not operating on the same board. Right. Uh, they're not in the same game, okay? It's like a Little League team walking into Yankee Stadium and trying to take a game off the Yankees. No, it'll never happen. Not in 10,000 such games. And that's the way it is. It's just the laws of physics. Now, if we were to get interstellar drive ourselves, and we could you know, put some of our nice hydrogen bombs on there and head on out, we could be a factor. We could be a problem, which is why that's never going to happen. And that's one of the reasons why, after we dropped those bombs in Japan, craft started turning up all around our planet. There is a even larger agenda to this than we've talked about so far, and I think that will emerge in, in good time. Well, those are going to be interesting discussions and very worthy to be definitely going over. Um, well, we definitely kept you on uh, for your time, so would you like to stay on while we go to a break and bring on Robert? I think he had a couple things to say to you, or do you – or. What what point would you like to finish? Up uh, I'll tell you what. I'll I'll come on for a few minutes. Robert can can make some comments to me if he wants to. But then it, it's two thirty, and I'm I'm absolutely right. fried. Well, we definitely. But I'll I'll come on after time. the break for a few minutes, and then uh, then I'll have to go to bed. All right, excellent. We definitely appreciate your time. It was good. Uh, you definitely chiming in with us. And as again, like I told you last time, sir, you definitely sound a lot more energetic and uh, optimistic about all this. So uh, we definitely uh, hope to have you keep re uh, re returning to the show to keep us all informed and to help guide us in these uh, trying times. And uh, to look at it, not with fear of all this, but with the air of imagination and fascination. Again, we're living in very special times, sir. And uh, yeah. think of the coincidences of that. <laughs> there ain't. But uh, all right. So aside from that, I guess if you will, and uh, we'll be back in about seven minutes. Uh, so everyone, uh, please mute your mic, sir. And uh, as the listeners of this show know, we have that motto, which is still needed: pack them and smoke them, because you're definitely gonna need them when you come back on the Martian Revelation. Incredible. I'll be back. Don't run. We are your friends. <laughs>
everybody, I'm Gary Legier, your host, the Mars Revealer, known also as the Mad Martian. And of course, you're listening to the Martian Revelation that's upon you all again now. A definitely interesting show going on, and what better person than to find out about what's going on and how things are going to go down than with Mr. Steve Bassett. But uh, I believe that we have our next guest, Robert Morningstar, on. Mr. Bassett's on the side there, I think. Uh, again, thank you for your time, sir. And I know that Robert wanted to ask you some questions. But everyone, uh, again, go to www.thefacesofmars.com so you can see uh, Robert's bio there. Because, uh, again, to save time for Mr. Bassett, again, it's late where he is. But, again, he sounds great, don't he, man? Reinvigorated. He's charged <laughs> up and optimized for where we're going to go. You know, I, I, I'm telling you, we're here to make our fate, and that's what we're fighting to do in one way or another. This truth embargo is ending. And I think that's the one of the biggest important factors that's just as important, in my opinion, regardless if they're E.T. or from inner Earth or from some other dimension. That's the next steps. But it's just as fascinating uh, Robert, I believe you're with us, and thank you yes, very much, brother, for waiting, and sorry about the extended news, no but, uh, but how you doing, no. man? Oh, I'm doing well, thank you. <clears throat> very gratified to be here and to hear Stephen again. We had a really great uh, interview about three weeks ago. Ah. I actually have no questions because his uh, his dissertation was comprehensive. Um just congratulations. I know you've worked uh, very hard, all of us have, uh, for this peekaboo. I call it the peekaboo disclosure, starting back in 2017, where they're lifting the curtain very slowly. Uh, I think it's a bit disingenuous of the government to say, oh, <clears throat> UFOs are real, but we don't see any aliens, you know. So that's a bit silly. <clears throat> and uh, in keeping with the silliness of the crash of science, uh, right before our eyes on so many levels. I always like to make the joke, my quip, that the first trick of science was to convince us that we all evolved from monkeys so that when they treat us like monkeys, we won't complain. <laughs> and, and in keeping with that, I would like to inform you that everyone is pronouncing this new acronym incorrectly, the, the so-called UAPs, as far as the government is concerned. It should be pronounced UHs. UHs, <laughs> 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 oh crap. <laughs> they're, they're talking to us in subtle ways. So, uh, Stephen, uh, great to hear you. And uh, really wonderful, wonderful information. I'm looking forward to your presentation before the Senate Intelligence Committee. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. Uh, uh, I wouldn't uh, hold your breath on it, but uh, I'll take what I can get. But I, I fully intend to be in the audience for these hearings. Yeah. Nothing's going to keep me away from that. And I think the way the vaccination schedule is going, I think we'll be able to – there will definitely be live hearings with audiences. So it's all good. So, Robert, I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm on the no East problem. Coast. No right? I'm I, going to call it a day. Sure. I, I thank you for hanging out. I told uh, Gary that I wanted to say hello to you. And, again, congratulations. I appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, thank All right, you very Gary. much, Stephen, and uh, definitely I'm, let's keep in touch with any progress. If there's ever any emergency time you need to come on, uh, feel free, brother. Okay. Thanks, bro. Later. Right, thank you. Bye. Have a good night, sir. Good night. That was incredible. And I'm telling you, Robert, is it just me, or does he sound like reinvig reinvigorated, man? He sounds very optimistic and very professional. Right. Right. Well, I had a wonderful interview with him three weeks ago, 
and uh, the energy was up. And people called me after the show. They said that was that was the greatest interview I have ever heard with Stephen Bassett. And so he's he's on a high energy level, and uh, I'm very happy that it's going this way. Of course, <clears throat> you're going to get a different opinion on the the peekaboo disclosure uh, from me <clears throat> and the silliness of positing that UFOs are real, <laughs> but we don't see no aliens around. You know? uh, yeah, yeah, ignore the intelligence that's beyond you that you're looking at as no proof of aliens. Here's another thing. <clears throat> I was reading that uh, the preliminary report. Right. And I come to the fourth paragraph. And it's one of the silliest things I've, I've ever read, which talks about the sensors. How about the, all these UFOs they picked up were on sensors, and some of them may not be real because of sensor malfunctions. Yeah, that sounds like a bullshit excuse. Now, are you talking about that nine-page release? Yeah, the the preliminary assessment, right. the, I right. think the one you have here on, on the website. Yes, sir. Um, the most sensitive instrument, the most sensitive sensor in the universe is the human being, a healthy, intelligent, clear-sighted, clear-minded human being. And it's ridiculous to think that machines are going to give us more information than our own senses. I think the best thing about this disclosure is that it has taken away the stigma from millions of people, not thousands of people, millions of people yes. who have seen UFOs, who have had interactions with UFOs and with aliens, have been abducted, have been abused, have been educated, because the aliens... The alien groups do all of those things. Yes. They appear. They interact. Yes. They make contact. Yeah. They abduct people. They abuse people. They heal people. I've, been in, people. I've been in all the above. So, and I, But I'm crazy. But not so crazy anymore, am I? Well, watch. No. Mr. Bassett and Morningstar here uh, helps make our faith to the Martian revelation. Then we'll see crazy. Yeah. Well, I have to, I too have had my, I think I've had some of the closest encounters any human being could have, both with UFOs and with aliens. I, I didn't speak about them previously in public. I did in private. But I have had more than a handful of direct contacts with extraterrestrials. And it's pretty so funny that you say that, direct contact with extraterrestrials. The show pick I decided to use, Robert, uh, when, I, when you showed me this picture yesterday, I started <laughs> laughing my ass off because it looks funny. It looks funny, but the implication, and uh, I think it lays at the heart of the issue about this. Please tell us about that picture, Robert. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the main show picture. I love that picture. I discovered it in 1995. It comes from Brunchili, Northern Territories of Australia. So it's a real so picture. It's not only a real picture, it's a real 35 millimeter picture. It's not a digital picture. Right. So this fellow, this farmer out in Northern Territories of Australia in a place called Brunchili, B-R-U-N-C-H-I-L-L-I, -L -L -I, an odd name, Brunchili. <clears throat> anyway, that's why I never forgot it. Oh, chili. And I like brunch and I don't like chili. <laughs> so that's, how I, that's how I remembered it. 
but he made a most cryptic, cryptic um, uh, comment. You know, he published the picture, and he made a comment to the effect: people believe that reality is only what they see. Right. As far as I'm concerned, I'm going inside and I'm smoking my pipe. <laughs> that's, Pack them, smoke them. You're definitely going to need them. Like you said, if you had to smoke them, uh, if you have them, smoke them. Yeah. But <clears throat> so I looked at this picture, and as a pilot, I said, "Wow, what a beautiful picture!" You know, the the exposure, the sharpness, everything about it, the UFO itself. <clears throat> and then I said to myself, "Wow, there's something else flying under the under that uh, UFO." And I said to myself, as a pilot, I said, "Is it a small aircraft? Is it a Cessna?" It's got a strange paint job. It's got it's white with black black wingtips. So I blow up the picture, and it's a cow. And <laughs> like, and like that, the old saying, Robert, like the old saying, people won't believe it uh, until pigs fly. Well, how about when yeah, cows, well, cows fly? <laughs> well, one of the things, My one God. of the uh, areas of ufology that I've studied very closely is the area of cow mutilations as well as human human mutilations happen as well but some people are really loath to speak about them i'm not afraid to talk about any aspect of ufo's so i look at this picture and i blow it up and i enhance it and i look oh my god it's not an airplane it's a cow <laughs> and then of course you know we we're all skeptical and i said you know could this be faked so i Blew up the cow, pardon the expression, <laughs> made, it, made it really big. And I noticed that the cow's head was in sharp focus as, long, as was the torso and the, um, the color patches on the cow. Right. The torso and the head were in good focus, but the legs were blurry. Right. And then I realized, of course, the legs are blurry. The poor cow is trying to run away. Yeah. It's it's being levitated. It's left the ground. It wants to get away, and it's racing its legs like crazy, trying to run in in the air. And that's why the legs of the cow are blurry. So I take this as a hundred percent real. As I told you earlier, I have been studying. I've been studying UFOs since 1956. So, add four years, 65 years, uh, 65 years of uh, study since childhood. My first alien abduction case was my little brother. He was seven. I was 13. So you got, you got a real good taste of it, of what this nation was then. Everything we've civilly been through then, civil rights, all that other shit, compared all to the transistor tube, uh, television, transistor radios, uh, mm -hmm. then the growth of technology to where we're at today. You've basically right. witnessed it all. And what is Absolutely. your thoughts on that? Is it based, even that, on alien technology? That may be veering off, but it's relevant, I think. No, I, I absolutely believe that uh, the recovery of the Roswell uh, spacecraft, whether it was a disc, an aero, they called it aerodyne. I provided you with one of the most important documents of all time, which is the U.S. Army CIG, that's the Central Intelligence Group, IPU. 
Report IPU stands for Interplanetary Phenomenon Unit, which was the designation of the special recovery team that was sent to Roswell to pick up the pieces. And pieces were scattered from uh, Mac Brazel's farm to 25 miles away, where the partially intact craft was recovered. The crash at Roswell did not involve just one spacecraft. These crafts were being tracked for days. Since June 29th, they had been making incursions into Los Alamos, White Sands, and the area. A lot of people don't realize that this UFO came down in the Trinity test site in oh, the region. Yeah, where, of, where they were testing a uh, big uh, fat boy. Or was it, wait, what is it? Fat, fat, fat boy man. And fat. But, but the Trinity was... The, the big brother of right. uh, Fat Man and Little Boy, right? So right. they proved it at Trinity. So the UFOs were really curious about what was going on at Los Alamos and White Sands. And <clears throat> the U.S. Army radars... Which raises Rock- many other questions, too. Fascinating it's, it's, discussion. No. Go ahead. Yeah. So what happened is the U.S. Army became aware on June 29th that UFOs were coming in, incurred, incurring... Uh, invading that area and they were coming in twos and threes right? so you would have lead and wingmen or lead and wingman so what the army did is they focused eight radars on that area after June 29th and they turned on those radars to super high frequencies and uh, power there were radars from Texas and New Mexico that tracked them. And it is believed that the convergence of all these radar signals simultaneously on these this group of UFOs, whether it was two or three, plus the passage of a very powerful thunderstorm and a lightning bolt, hit two of these craft. One crashed into the other, sending the lower one just smashing into a million pieces on Brazel's farm, while the other one skipped off and flew, trying to recover until it crashed near Corona. Corona, right. Corona is the one where the craft uh, mostly intact with the bodies, plus a surviving alien, and the very disturbing discoveries of human bodies nearby that seem to have been um, they had been sectioned they had been uh, opened up as if the quote is that uh, it looked like they had been opened up like frogs in a biology laboratory so not unlike the cattle mutilations would uh, appear something like that they found animal parts inside the craft, in a compartment inside the craft. So this was the most harrowing and disturbing thing about the whole the whole event. Boy, you'd think they'd be able to handle the lightning, though. That's, uh, that's an interesting see, aspect. The lightning, the lightning plus eight radars beaming on them with um, even more powerful uh, microwave uh, beams than, than we can imagine. Eight of them converging on them. They Plus probably figured that out since then, though, Robert, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, 
you know, acts of God do happen. So I really do believe that it was an act of God for the lightning storm to uh, issue, you know, one of Zeus's thunderbolts and smash one of them to the ground. Others believe that it may have been a Trojan horse that aliens uh, crashed one intentionally. Yeah, so pastor, that we pastor have, John S. Terrell has a right? he's a pastor and yeah, he gets into these even pre atomite civilizations and who that most likely mm-hmm. was and uh especially in regards to the Roswell craft, that would put an, an interesting twist to this. So I see where you're going. Huh. Well I do believe uh, Philip Corso in the day after Roswell. Right. I I've read the book, I consider it Page legitimate. Turner. Yes. I've oh yeah. Uh, fantastic book. Yes. Uh, not only not only his uh, description of the reverse technology uh, aspect of it, how he was assigned in 1961 when President Kennedy became uh, president of the United States, he was assigned to disperse some of the gadgetry that was recovered to different laboratories, and that is precisely the time that you mentioned. You know, my childhood. That was precisely the time when I was an apprentice. I was an apprentice in an electrical repair shop. So I had the opportunity to work with electronic devices dating back to World War II, to the 1950s, and the cutting-edge technology of the 1960s. And by that I mean that I worked with uh, reel-to-reel tape recorders. I worked with wire recorders. A lot of people don't even know that these things existed. During World War II, we didn't have tape recorders, but we had wire. And just like, um, you know, the scratches on the uh, Edison cylinders, they learned, the Army learned, and the uh, scientists learned, that you could run a wire uh, reel-to-reel through a machine that would put nicks in the wire. And then you could play that wire back and have the sounds in the same way that uh, that Edison and the cylinders and uh, the LPs uh, reproduced sound. It was by uh, nicking a piece of vinyl or uh, uh, a disc. And I worked with wire recorders from Germany. The Germans had wire recorders, and so did we. Then I worked with tubes. I had tube technology. My... As a gopher, I had to go and get the repair parts from Zenith and Emerson and RCA here in New York. New York was the electronics capital of the world as far as uh, um, supplies. So I would jump on the subway. They'd give me a list. I'll tell you what. It's when Made in USA meant something. Exactly, exactly. Zenith was the the top of the line. So I would leave school at 3 o'clock, race to the shop. At, on Amsterdam Avenue and they say, hey, kid, you got to 5 o'clock they close at 5 o'clock, you got to get all these parts, so they give me a list one for Zenith, one for, Mar- for RCA for Emerson, Sylvania um, any number of others, and it was all down by Chambers Street and 14th Street so I'd hop on the subway and I was expert kid 10 years old, New York City subways I'd jump on the express, go to 14th Street, run a block from 7th Avenue, 8th Avenue, go to Zenith, go to RCA, head down to Chambers, get to uh, get to the other places and hand them the list. And we'd get the tubes, vacuum tubes, 
race back uptown. You know, they closed at 5, so I had to have all that done by 5 o'clock, 5.15 at the latest. If I was in there by 5, they let me stay till they got the parts. And by 6 o'clock, I was back, and the technicians would jump on the television sets, the radio sets. Um, I pick up um, components for uh, tape, reel-to-reel tape recorders. And then they'd get to work, and we were able to deliver the TV sets by 8 o'clock that night. So I would work from 3.15 at night, in the afternoon, through about 8.30, 9 o'clock at night, six days a week. And on Saturdays, it was from 9 to 7. And all for 15 bucks a week, plus the tips. But it was enough for me to make enough money then for me to buy our our family's first uh, color TV set, nice. a Zenith circular tube TV set. So yes, I know all about the advancements in technology, and I was there when transistor radios came around and FM. I was, uh, you know, there I was, a ten year old kid. I was being taught by World War II and Korean War veterans on um, everything, shortwave radios, um, how color TV worked how FM differed from uh, AM, what multiplexing meant. So it was really, really, I'm telling you, it was four years, five years of a college education in a radio TV shop in New York. And that's kept me going all these years. So I'm very gratified to remember those things. I love reminiscing about uh, wonderful youth in New York City. And then being part of, first, the Atomic Age, you know, I call myself an atomic kid. I grew up in in uh, the 1950s when the atom promised us a, a wonderful future before we found out about all the dangers to human life from, from radiation. And on the other aspect of that, to the uh, fascinations of space and uh, extraterrestrials via Flash Gordon that you always, yeah. uh, that, that's, that's, you're a big fan of. Absolutely. I have... On Revolution Radio, on Mondays at 11 o'clock, I have the Flash Gordon Radio Club, and I urge you to listen. Revolution.radio is uh, the URL, not very hard, Revolution.radio. And on Sundays, I'm on Studio A at 3 o'clock for the Morning Star Report. And on Mondays, I have two shows, the Right Stuff Radio Program, Mm -hmm. which takes its name from the movie about the Gemini astronauts. And it's usually about uh, science and history and uh, things like that, uh, current events. And at 11 o'clock, I have the Flash Gordon radio show or radio club. And I urge you to join me. Um, it's fun. I play uh, the opening uh, uh, Flash Gordon serials. Then I'll discuss the Hall of Heroes, Flash Gordon Hall of Heroes, because I want to keep the idea of the American hero alive. Yeah. And Flash Gordon is... Uh, Preeminence amongst them. Um, another one is Tarzan, right. who's technically English, and we have English and American heroes, and I induct them into the um, Flash Gordon Hall of Fame. Nice. So to get back to the UFO mm-hmm. and the cow, the cow lift. I, I dubbed this photo the UFO cow lift in Australia. So I was telling you, I've been very interested in this subject. So what happened com- with the cow? Uh, with the is, he imaged it. The guy imaged it. What happened? Did it? Back. This is the first 
from cow abduction to the cow mutation occurred in Kansas, 1892. And it happened to a man whose name was Alexander Hamilton. He was a farmer. Are you still there? I heard a strange noise. Yes, something's going on in my view. Oh, okay. So, in the beautiful book written by others, the first instance of a cow abduction occurring uh, with a UFO uh, occurred in 1892 in Kansas to a man named Alexander Hamilton, who later ran for Congress and was elected and served in Congress. Someone's trying to screw my computer. That's what's going on, Robert. This thing. Well, that happened to me. As a matter of fact, I'm on the second. There it goes. There it goes. It's starting to flash out. My fucking mouse is moving around by itself. Oh, my Lord. That's why I don't use Zoom, man. (laughs) I'm telling you. I don't use Zoom. I had to scurry over to the second backup computer because as I was listening to your show and getting ready for this interview... Huh. Something started to mess with my main computer, and fortunately, I, I always have a backup. And I'm grateful to be on the air with this one. So, the um, uh, people don't know that this. Well, let's call it. It's not really a commission yet, uh-huh. but the first real UFO commission in the history of the Uf- U.S. government occurred during the Grover Cleveland administration, and that was because of the airship mysteries. Airships were seen flying all across the United States from coast to coast. Nobody knew who owned them. Nobody knew who built them. They didn't interact directly with people. At night, they would be seen with super bright lights that were quite impossible for the electronics of that time to uh, imitate. People were seeing UFOs. And now in Kansas, on this guy's ranch, he and his son heard a a cow bleeding and mewing and mewing in distress. So he ran out and he saw his cow, horns, and uh, the cow was caught on a barbed wire fence and it had a cable, that's their word, it had a cable around its neck. And this cable was up, going up to an quote-unquote airship. They ran over, and the cow was being yanked by the airship as if to be hoisted, but it was stuck on the barbed wire fence. So out of uh, mercy for the cow, they disentangled it from the barbed wire fence. And they looked up, and they claimed to have seen small, ugly-looking people looking down at them, from the airship and they disentangled the cow from the barbed wire and the cow was lifted off and carried away for the next two days the farmer who and his son it off? who lifted wait a minute who what had the cow and who the, cable, who, who, the, the airship the airship as they described it had dropped the cable with a noose and snagged the cow all right, so it was a, a, an earthen airship then. With very ugly people. No, airship was their word for it. They said they saw turbines inside it. Ah, okay. okay. So, all right. The vocabulary of a certain age, a certain epic, a certain uh, civilization. I mean, think of the cargo cults. You know about the cargo cult? Right, yes. In the South Pacific, the natives in the South Pacific had lived without technology for thousands of years. World War II came around, 
and the United States had to start its island hopping campaign to defeat the Japanese. So we'd come on, land on the island, uh, tear up the jungle, excavate, uh, lay down an airstrip, and bring in our DC-3 cargo planes with all the supplies uh, to supply our troops. In the meantime, uh, they would give cans of food and candy and all of that stuff to the indigenous people, or the aborigines, as I'm used to calling them. Yeah. And then we left. And when we left, the aborigines, hoping for the sky gods to come back, created their own runways, and they built airplanes out of bamboo and, and uh, straw and uh, palm light leaves. Them, and light them on and they fire, would, and, yeah. And they, no, they didn't light them on fire. They just left them on the runway, hoping that uh, the I airplanes see, would come some, back. I've seen some videos of rituals as they list them on fire, as uh, for it to be seen. Yeah, well, that, that, that may be so, but the ones I've seen, they would leave them on, on their runways, right. hoping that we would come back. And a religion, a cult of the sky gods, in which Americans were the sky gods to these people, as the Anunnaki were to the primitives in ancient times, uh, developed. So this is another aspect that, of this phenomenon which scared the government rightly so because we're loaded with people who are space brothers remember the scene in Independence Day where yeah. all the people in Los Angeles yeah, are up would, on top we, of the roof we, no, we would have no, got them to do anything for us <laughs> no? so the same thing has already happened there is a religious cult built around UFOs yes. which uh, I believe is very misguided in many ways and uh, the misguidance of it actually led to the Heaven's Gate suicides. Remember that yeah. in San Diego? Yeah. That's terrible, you know, including among the victims was uh, Lieutenant Ohura's brother. Oh, became really? Part of the cult. Yeah, you know, Lieutenant Ohura on, Sky, uh, on uh, Star Trek. Yeah, wow. Uh, her brother became part of that cult, and they were all convinced that you know, the UFO was going to come down and, you know, pick up their souls, but they all committed suicide so to make the pickup easier, I guess, and so they could all go en masse. So there are dangers, psychological dangers associated with this. There's another psychological danger, which is uh, not being cautious. UFOs are dangerous. UFOs are toxic. They, some of them are radioactive. People that go near them, uh, that have uh, cases where they landed, have been burned by the exhaust. Right. In other cases, they've been exposed to radiation. I have a good friend who's a doctor and a brain surgeon, and he worked for the CIA. And um, he did studies of people who had close encounters with UFOs, and over the course of the next three months, developed uh, brain tumors. Not every, not all of them died, but he did x-rays of their brains and uh, he found uh, deep-seated tumors in their brains that developed after coming in contact with UFOs. <clears throat> I remind people that when the space shuttle used to go into outer space and return to Earth and land, no one could approach it for at least an hour. One was from the heat that was radiating from the, uh, the tiles, the black tiles that dissipated the, the heat of reentry. 
but they still remained hot for over an hour. So even ground crew couldn't go there near them. But they were also exuding fumes, toxic fumes, which would kill anybody who breathed them. So imagine a UFO comes down to Earth at 10,000 miles an hour, lands. By the way, there's a, another photo at, when we get off the cow subject <laughs> that was, was taken in California in uh, the 1960s, a color picture. You know, Robert, it's, you know, there, there, uh, that picture might be the icon of the idea between this lamp that's a UFO that looks like it's beaming up a cow. Have you seen that lamp? Well, they seem to be, yes. Well, lamp. I don't and, know and about that, that. That was black with white spots, too. A lamp, you know, that lights. A lamp, like for your desk. That's a UFO, and it has this uh, green thing that's supposed to represent the beam, and then you have the cow, like, standing up or in the air, like, and it's a black oh, and white oh, cow they, also. Yes, it's up, on its, it's up on its hind legs to make it look like it's levitating. Yeah, yeah but you know what? This UFO, the one I'm referring to, which is below the airliner picture, okay. this is a very interesting photograph. First of all, it looks like the classic Haunabu, you know, classic the German... What? The German uh, craft, and oh. it looks like the ones that were being taken, photos were being taken of craft like this by George Adamski. Right. You can see the balls, three balls under the skirt, let's call it. And yeah, if, you see, now, if you see three balls under a skirt, you better run. <laughs> you'll see that anytime you go to a girl's uh, or a woman's uh, sports competition uh, nowadays when you have... Uh, what do you call it? I'm sorry, uh, Robert. You left yourself open it. for that. That was no, good. No, 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 no. This is all tied into the same thing, man. Uh -huh. This this mess up, this destruction of our culture yes. of having uh, female sports competitions uh, being run with girls with testicles and chicks with dicks yeah. is perversion. It's part of this whole thing of changing our culture yeah. to uh, make us conform with something that has no gender. You know, this transgender, transhumanism uh, ploy yeah. to, uh, you know, it's mess disgusting. our minds up. But let me just say a couple of words about this, uh, the yes. California picture. Yes. This was taken in California mid-1960s, around 65. And the thing I find intriguing is the person who shot the picture came upon this flying saucer while it was landed. And while he got his camera together and pulled it out, the flying saucer lifted off. So this plane was flying in the ground, this dude's looking out the window, he sees it No, 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 this is a ground shot. I'm talking about the photograph that's below the airline engine photograph. All right, hold on, all right. Oh, 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 okay, gotcha, gotcha. Below the moon, below the moon, below the Chinese airliner, by the way, that was taken in China. But this was California, around 1965. All right, yeah, you can see all the brush I, and the trees. Go ahead. Well, the guy comes upon the craft that's on the ground, and he says he lifts it off. Now, look at the hill on the right-hand side. Look at the diameter of that UFO, and look at the mark on the ground. I think that's damage that that UFO did. That's possible. Yeah, that's possible. Yep. It looks like the same circumference. And the whiteness and the whiteness in the photograph could be due to radiation emanating from that region or heat. But I would think it's radiation. 
it definitely looks like damage. When you see the black spot in right. the, in the, uh, the ground area, yeah, that corresponds to me to the distance of one of those balls, those hemispheres, let's call it, you know, like the word balls, <laughs> hemispheres, the three hemispheres on the bottom of the Adamski type of UFO craft, craft which we call, we call Haunabu. We associate this with the technology that the Germans were experimenting with. Yeah, it does look like one of those Nazi crafts, don't it? Yes, it does. Now, let me tell you about the Nazi craft. Uh The Nazi craft were reverse-engineered technology that a group of reptilian aliens gave to the Nazis in exchange for resources. And what resources are those? People. That's right. People, dinner, material, possibly dinner. And this comes from to serve William, William Mills Tompkins wrote a book selected by extraterrestrials, which I recommend to everyone. William Mills Tompkins was a member of the Office of Naval Intelligence during World War II. And he says that we had aliens, humanoid aliens helping us during World War II on our side against the Nazis who were allied with reptilians. Now, the reptilians made a pact with the Nazis and they downloaded uh, advanced technology, which the Nazis turned into supersonic jets, uh, nearly supersonic jet craft, but definitely supersonic um, UFOs or flying saucers. But, they, the humanoid aliens warned us against the reptilians. Now, I'm going to tell you something about history. Uh-huh. I grew up in the 1950s when the, the truths were being leaked about the Nazis and their belief system. The Nuremberg trials were a huge cover-up. They were like the Warren Commission report. The Nuremberg trials were intended to cover up the real belief system and the real... Um, Science that the Nazis had broken into, and to veil, to disguise their crimes as psychological aberrations, to describe them in in Freudian terms as malformed uh, personalities and uh, megalomania, in order to hide the fact that they had just broken away completely from human civilization in their concepts of. Um, science and metaphysics and uh, psychology. And what they were hiding was that the Nazis had made a pact with a group of aliens, in this case, as William Mills Tompkins reveals, reptilians. Now, in the 1950s, I was growing up as things were leaking. In the early 1950s, when they talked about the Holocaust, they would say, oh, he killed almost half a million people. A couple of years later, it was like he killed about a million people. And then in the mid-1950s, oh, he killed about two million people. And slowly, the number kept going up and going up until it comes to the Holocaust with six million people. Okay? Oh, wow. So my estimate was that it's actually about two million people. So there's a lot of exaggeration. And that, in, and that includes the polls and everyone else that they threw in the pack and the... And the- you know, no, I'm talking, I'm, I'm talking about specifically the, the, the uh, Jewish, Jewish home. Okay. 
But gotcha. you know what? They never talk about Stalin's 10 million Ukrainians. I want to talk, you know, the, the 20th century was the worst, most evil century in the history of mankind. Genocide was being practiced everywhere. Wow. The Nazis did 6 million, if you want to accept that figure. But Stalin killed 10 million Ukrainians in order to steal their food. And that Holocaust is called the Holodomor. Holodomor. The Armenian Genocide. The Turks killed 1.5 million Armenians. And it's only this year that America and the media has acknowledged the Armenian Genocide in 1914 and 15. Oh, wow. And that has parallels. I'm going to break into this right now. That has parallels with what is being done to the United States right now. The reason that the Armenian genocide occurred was the intention of a group of rebellious Muslim colonels who wanted to overthrow the Ottoman Empire. They were fundamentally communists. They wanted to overthrow their own government, but their government was functioning in its alliance with Germany in World War I and costing Turks a lot of lives. You know, if you look at the, the Battle of Gallipoli between the British and the Turks, it was just utter slaughter. So these young Turks, as they are called, and that's a significant term relating to what's happened in 2016 here in the United States. These young Turks decided that to bring down the uh, caliphate, they had to destroy its economy. But the economy of the caliphate was running on one province, the economy of one province, which was the Christian Armenians. Orthodox Christian Armenians were the industrial center of Turkey, and their taxes were providing the funds for Turkey to engage in the war hmm. in alliance with Germany. Okay. So the young Turks decided, we've got, we got to get rid of the, the caliph, the caliphate, to establish a new country that will be non-religious. As I said, they were communists, and communists are anti-religion. Even if you're, you know, if you were Jewish or if you were Christian or, or if you're Muslim, you reject the religion. So they went out to destroy the Armenian economy by slaughtering the Armenian people and putting them to the sword. Literally, the slaughter was done by the sword. They didn't waste bullets because they needed the bullets for World War One. They brought down the Armenian economy. They destroyed it. And huge numbers of Armenians uh, migrated to other countries, and including the United States. And I have to tell you, I have been exposed to Armenian cultures. It's one of the old, oldest cultures on the planet Earth. Armenia is where Moses, not Moses, but Noah, Noah's Ark. Huh. It's, in Armenia. it's up there on top of a mountain in Ararat. The mountains was, of Ararat, yeah. Yeah. It was found in the 1960s, and the Turkish government will not allow anyone to go up there because they don't want to endorse the story in the Bible. So anyway, <laughs> that was the ploy used in 1914-15 to destroy the economy of the Ottoman Empire and bring it down, to destroy the entire culture of Turkish Islam. The same technique is being used here now to destroy our economy, to bring it down, to change our culture, 
to impose communism on the United States. But do you, Robert, met- do you think we'll wake up to that fact? I mean, well, we're waking people up right now. Anybody who's listening is waking up right. because I'm not bullshitting. You know, right? I'm a scholar. I'm a historian. Everything I'm telling you, go and Google it, and you'll confirm it. Google the name of Kamal Ataturk. Kamal Ataturk, like camel with a K, uh-huh. right? Ataturk, A-T-T-A-T-U-R-K, like Turk and Atta. Mohammed Atta, who crashed right. into the World Trade Center, yeah. and Turk, Ataturk. He was the, the, the lead colonel. He became the first president of Turkey. He established the Turkish Republic, which was non-religious. And it really modeled itself in many ways after the United States and not so much after uh, the Soviet Union. Now, the Young Turk name is very significant to us because in 2016, a group of radical leftist Democrats led by a YouTube host radio guy named Cenk Ugar took that name. His name of his show is called The Young Turks. And these guys, spurred by Cenk Ugar and his group, they funded the campaigns of all these radicals that have come to be known as the Squad. Oh, terrific. Alex, uh, Alexandria, Occasional Cortex. All those commie Americans that need to be ousted. Lan Omar, uh, the guy from California, Ron. Descent? No. Uh, no, no. Not, not, Ron um, Kayana. Ron Kayana. Uh, uh, Rashid Talib. They, recru- they recruited seven people and they got them to run for Congress on the platform of being covert communists. And they put them into the Congress to ferret out Democrats, to kick out Democrats so they could have a nucleus of communists in the Democrat Party. Seems McCarthy was right after all. McCarthy was absolutely right. When the Venona papers were released by the Soviet Union, it was discovered that the people that uh, McCarthy was fingering as communists in the government were indeed communists. Julius Rosenberg was guilty. Julius Rosenberg, who was executed with his wife for sending atomic secrets to the Soviet Union, was a Soviet agent. His wife was just a dupe. She wasn't a communist. She was just a typist. Julius Rosenberg got the atomic secrets from from, uh, the brother, actually, the brother of of, uh, Ethel Rosenberg was named... uh, Daniel Glassman, and he worked at Los Alamos, so he snuck out the, the diagrams and the descriptions of the atomic bomb gadgetry and sent them to Julius, and Julius told his wife she would type up the reports that they would send to the Soviet Union. I was a little boy, man. I was a little kid. I was five or so, five years old, and it was one of the gloomiest days in, the, in New York City, and I was my parents were taking me around in the subway, and I was seeing people really glum, really gloomy, and I kept hearing Rosenberg, Rosenberg, you know. And I could hardly understand anything that was going on, but I kept hearing that word. 
And years later, I was realizing, oh, my God, that was the day the Rosenbergs were executed because uh, General uh, President Eisenhower would not stay their execution. He thought that what they did in giving the Soviets the atomic bomb was one of the greatest crimes of the 20th century. Consider this. We had had we were the only country on the planet with an atomic bomb. Now and we certainly were not, we certainly were not going to use it. We certainly were not going to use it on any other country first. Right. Again, I should say second because we did use it in World War II right. to end the war. And the reason we did it was to save an estimated 1 million American lives and 10 million Japanese lives because the calculations that were made after taking the islands of Saipan and Okinawa with the mass death, the mass suicide of the Japanese people on that island who had been mind-controlled by the Japanese uh, military and the Japanese emperor into thinking that that we were devils and we were going to just slaughter them all, the sight of... Japanese mothers with their children in their arms jumping off the cliffs of Okinawa and uh, wow. Saipan into, into the rocks and killing themselves by the hundreds drove a lot of our soldiers crazy with guilt. Right. And America uh, in 1953 was going, still going through the guilt pangs of what had been done to Hiroshima. Uh, you know, the hundred virgins of Hiroshima Another sad story. You know, we were seeing pictures of the of the victims of radiation. Yes. So America was not going to use the atomic bomb on any other country. But now the Rosenbergs had given the atomic secrets to the Soviet Union. And now we were confronted with, with uh, the mutual assured destruction, the MAD policy. You know, if we went to war with the Soviet Union, we would... Uh, right. Face, uh, you know, huge genocide. Look, but at the same time, UFOs were also probing uh, their nuclear uh, assets and capabilities like they were here, right? In that time? Yes, they were here to stop us from going farther. But the fact is, there was nuclear proliferation. But let me tell you, the proof that America was not going to use the atomic bomb a third time on anyone came in Korea because General MacArthur wanted to use the atomic bomb to just lay waste North Korea and just destroy the millions of Chinese troops that had been uh, infiltrated and then invaded South Korea. But what did Truman do? He said no. He fired General MacArthur for wanting to use the atomic bomb. So you know, don't pin the tail on this donkey. You know, right. that's what they try to do. You know, and uh, the donkeys here are the Democrats. And now, yeah. I'm warning everyone: the Young Turks are operating in the U.S. Congress through these initial seven communists that they elected: uh, Jamila Prayala, uh, Rashida Tlaib, Alexandria. Uh, Cortez and Ron uh, Kayana. And there's a, a couple of others there now. Another one is Warnoff, right? This, they stole the election in 2020, but they also stole two seats down in Georgia. All right. Yeah. And one of them was uh, Warnock. Yeah. Warnock, yeah, Warnock, Warnock the Warlock, okay? Yeah. And, 
uh, what is the other guy's name? Joel uh, Austin. His so anyway, comes on TV. More, he ran over my foot. That son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, more and more, more and more of these communists are being inf- have infiltrated the the demo communist party, and we are in danger that they are here to overthrow the U.S. Constitution. Oh, it's obvious now. I want to go back, I want to go back to this Hanabu. I want to go back yes. to um, the reptilian alliance between the Nazis okay. and, the, and the reptilians and William Mills Tompkins' revelations in the book selected by extraterrestrials. I want to tell you, growing up during the 1950s and 60s and having all the Nazi secrets being leaked little by little by little, in the 1960s, I was in high school, and I read The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich and Hitler, A Study in Tyranny, and all about the Aryan race, you know, his ideas about breeding a whole new race of superhumans, blah, 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 blah. But one thing that struck me as very strange, really weird, was Hitler always talking about bringing forth this new race on Earth, the Aryan race. The blonde beast. Now, I'd hear that term. He said he was going to breed a, the blonde beast. I go, what the hell is he talking about? Who, who in his right mind would describe the next evolution of a human race as the blonde beast? Right? right. It just made no sense to me. But he was over and over and over. I was hearing Hitler and the Aryan race and Hitler... Uh, Breeding, breeding, the blonde beast. So about three years ago, Mr. Tompkins, God bless him, uh, lieutenant during World War II in the Office of Naval Intelligence, writes his book, selected by Extraterrestrial, reveals the, the alliance between the reptilians and the Nazis. And I said to myself, holy mackerel, that's what Hitler was talking about. He was talking about hybriding Aryan Germans who are blonde and blue-eyed with reptilians. And what would the product be? A beast. A a blonde beast. See, history makes sense when you can break through the code words. Oh, ain't that the truth? You just said it. You said it, not me. They're not UFOs. They're UAPES. (laughs) <laughs> you apes don't yeah, you get it here's a banana right? <laughs> here's a banana here's a little banana it's a little preliminary report oh yes UFOs are real they're a technology we don't understand but oh no we don't see no aliens around here <laughs> right so that's why I ridicule uh, I take after Mark Twain Mark Twain is uh, one of the greatest See, I think that Mark Twain in the English language may be second only to Shakespeare. And Mark Twain said something very interesting. He said that no tyranny, no orthodoxy, no dictatorship can ever stand against the power of laughter. Right? So that's why I use mockery, sarcasm, Mm -hmm. and and satire in my attacks Uh on tyranny, dictatorship, and orthodoxies, which are out to enslave the mind. So there you have it. The blonde beast is a hybrid of a cross between a human being, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed human being, 
with reptilian extraterrestrials. Now, a friend of mine had a very uh, insightful moment when she said to me, Robert, do you, do you realize that we've all been hearing about alien invasion and COVID-19 and the injection, the mRNA vaccine could be that alien inv- invasion? That's what I was uh, trying to suspect. Uh, I kind of touched, br- brushed that way, breezed uh, with uh, Stephen there. At yeah. Everything going on. How do we know it's not them, really, that's wanting us depopulated and uh, to pull all this shit to soften us up for their ultimate mm-hmm. whatever it is that they're going to do? Yeah. Yes. Let me tell you this. I hope you put the IPU report out so people can read it and they'll know that I'm just telling you 100% truth. Yeah. Right? President John F. Kennedy was in the Congress and he learned about the Roswell crash about three days after it happened. And he learned of it from a congressman who was associated with the Secretary of the Air Force. You said three Sec- days after? About three days, about okay. July 7th to the 10th. All right. President John, future President John F. Kennedy was briefed, and he's point number 10 in that report, which is basically saying we have, we've got to watch this guy. You know, mm-hmm. He knows about it. John, Congressman John F. Kennedy of Massachusetts, son of Joseph P. Kennedy, member of the president's uh, committee to reorganize the government, has learned of this uh, event from a staff member in Congress, from the staff member associated with the Secretary of the Air Force. This is where nepotism runs really deep in, the, in this deep state. Yeah. The Secretary of the Air Force in 1947 was a man named Stuart Symington. And when I met Governor Fife Symington of Arizona, who was there during the Phoenix Lights, who saw the Phoenix Lights himself, I said to him, are you the son of Stuart Symington? He said, no, I'm his nephew. And he was also a member of the Air Force. He, he joined the Air Force. He's a, an ex-serviceman. I asked him about the Phoenix Light and, the, and the, the huge UFO. He said, Robert, I saw the UFO. He said, it was huge. He said, you're from New York, right? So you know how wide a Sunday New York Times is. The two pages, it's gigantic. Yeah. Right? So he said, imagine opening up the New York Times, Sunday New York Times, and stretching it out and holding it over your head. That's what I did. He said, I held my hands over my head as if I had the New York Times in my hand. And that UFO was so big that the tips, the wings tips, came out beyond that. Beyond the pages. Wow. Hey, uh, Robert, uh, just in case, uh, I'm getting an itch here. Let's blow the cobwebs off the timeline. I figured I'll give it out. You never know. 202-684-6955. 202-684-6955. One more. Yeah. 202-684-6955. If anyone has yeah. a question or any comments for Robert or whatnot, uh, feel free. But anyway, who knows? The cobwebs just may be webs. But uh, other than that, that's still fascinating, Robert, because, again, now we're at a time. Again, Mr. Bassett's, uh, you know, very optimistic what are your thoughts and predictions? Do you agree with him that these hearings, he, he feels confident that it, it'll be this year? Well, I hope so. I hope so. And I, I hope that they they will have people like Stephen Bassett and uh, 
maybe even me go in there and talk truth to power because you know these guys are BSing themselves you know right uh, as, as I saw that CBS special and I saw the the two pilots talking and I saw Marco Rubio talking I'm telling you they look scared shitless to me Marco Marco Rubio looked like he was about to have a heart attack his face was was scowled he was sweating the 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 pilot the woman pilot Miss Dietrich she looks like she was on sedative. She was scared, you know, to be talking about it. But, um, you know, I believe like uh, Roosevelt, one of the few things I believe about Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, uh, not Teddy, but uh, Franklin Roosevelt, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Why? Because fear paralyzes you. It stunts your thinking. It it makes you indecisive. Uh, yes, so, yes. You know? <clears throat> so let's be realistic. There is not one race of extraterrestrial here on Earth. There is, There are many races, and they're all doing their own agenda, and very few of them really care about us. <clears throat> the ones that I really believe are angelic, they're written about <clears throat> in the Bible. And it says, And there was war in heaven between Satan and his angels and Michael and his angels, and Satan was thrown from heaven and with his angels, and they were cast to the surf down to, down to the earth they were kicked out of the heavenly heights and they were thrown onto the earth and that's what you have with the Illuminati the New World Order the Bilderbergers and the Luciferians who have taken over the Democrat Party you think I'm exaggerating just go read their dirty playbook Rules for Radicals that's their book of ta- strategy and tactics for the Democratic Party. They adopted it in 2008. I found out about it. Obama was pushing it. Obama had 50,000 copies of that book translated into Macedonian, or we would call Yugoslavian, and disseminated uh, in Eastern Europe. And if you open up that book, it's dedicated in the preface to Lucifer. Okay? So that's, that's the real enemy. I'm not... BSing anybody. You know, uh, you would enjoy. Pa- you, would en- you, you would enjoy. Pa- you would enjoy uh, Pastor uh, John S. Terrell's take on that as well. Then, um, and again, it's it, it is scriptural. There is scriptural aspects to this for sure. To point to that, it does seem like uh, um, an intelligence. That fits the description and mo of some of of some of that, and maybe you know that's because it's true. And uh, I, I don't think we devil. should rule it out. That's for sure. The first trick of the devil is to make you believe that he doesn't exist. Bingo. Okay, that's an old saying. It's yeah. a very old saying. Now people hear me talk about this. I'm not being religious. You know, no, I, I hear you. It's illogical. I have I have had my own battles with Satan. And yeah, me too. Huh. Well, I'm I'm alive to tell about it, right? right? Some of them were in the in the form of extraterrestrial evil extraterrestrials that uh, tried to get over on me. I hear tried, something, Robert. Do you, is, huh? the, is your phone? You have another phone, or is there someone on with us by chance? No. I'm hearing Nobody someone breathe. The aliens are on. Oh, who's that? Who's this? Hey, Robert, how you doing, buddy? Who is that? 
Robert, Robert, how you doing? I'm doing fine. This is uh, Mike from the CIA. I uh, talked to you before. Um, I had a couple of questions for you, if uh, if that's okay. Fine, go ahead. Uh, what's you the your opinion? Are you the, hold on, hold on. Let me just get, I know a lot of mics. Are you the Mike who uh, told me about ammonium nitrate? I can't, uh, I can't uh, say anything about that. Um, my question for you tonight <laughs> deals with, I know you've been on the Richard Hoagland show. Yeah. And I wanted to know, do you think his work in his, uh, uh, all of his, uh, work that he's done so far is it still relevant today? Do you think, or do you think he's he's kind of in the past, or do you think he still has a lot of juice left in him that he still has a lot of new info? Well, I, I don't speak negatively about my friends. I'll say this: that Richard Hoagland is very intelligent, very entertaining. Um, I do listen to his shows. I don't buy into all of his theories. I don't believe that there are domes over Jezero Crater on Mars. That's a little point of uh, uh, disputation. I am not aligned with him in his hatred of President Trump or his support of President Biden. And the commie Resi- Chinese? What's that? And the commie Chinese from where rumors are Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, um, Richard Hoagland and I do not see eye to eye on politics. He, he extols the Chinese Mars uh, effort and I, um, I actually try to use my my prayers and my psychic powers to uh, to wreck that rover. I, <laughs> I have no- exactly. <laughs> yeah, I wish it blew up. <laughs> and, and it ain't roving around too much, folks. I'm telling you. So, any more questions, Mike? Yeah, I do, um, uh, uh, Robert. Uh, uh, it's I don't know. This might be a little bit uh, sensitive or not. But um, I know you've seen. Um, you said in the in the past you've seen UFOs and yeah. and uh, have you had any kind of um, abduction experiences? I think you said in the past. Or... I have. Well, no abduction contact contactee is different than abduction. I have stopped. Well, have you had any any kind of probes done done to you? No. Any kind of probes no. that you you felt no. okay with? Or... I've had... No, I don't feel okay. I don't feel okay with probes. How about you? <laughs> have you had any well, probes? Well, that's a different story. Uh, you have to go into. Um, but, uh, hey, hey, Robert. I just want to say thank you. I just want to say. I just want to say, Gary. Gary. Yep. We love you, man, and uh, I'm, I'm glad you're back. Okay. Hey, Mike. Uh, thanks thanks a lot. I appreciate it's, that. It's very enjoyable. It's very enjoyable. But just let me just finish up on on Richard Hoagland. Richard Hoagland hey, is. Hey, Robert. Robert, are you still are you still doing the Tai Chi dancing with the Asian people in the park? Uh, yeah, I am teaching Tai Chi. I'm starting it up, man. Thank you. For I love that. that. I love it. Thank you for bringing that up. If you're in New York, please come to my classes because this gangster Absolutely. governor that I've had has not let me work for a year. And all of my uh, my resource, financial resources dried up except for one dedicated student who has continued to come throughout the years because basically um, both of us need the training. But thank you for mentioning that. I do teach Tai Chi privately and in groups in Riverside Park. I am currently starting something with Airbnb. Um, you can look up Tai Chi muscle, uh, Tai Chi bodybuilding, which is not like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's, it's really different. 
And so, yes, I welcome anyone who wants to study Tai Chi. You look fantastic. Uh, your body looks looks really, really great for your age and everything. So uh, thank you. Keep up, keep up what you're doing. There's a picture well, of him out there, bro. There's a picture of him out there on one of those New York City benches, park benches, um, you know, on the backrest, and where he's <laughs> laying right on the edge, the pointy edge of hmm. that uh, of the back of the. Damn it, of the backrest, where his body is totally straight. How the hell he does that at his age is amazing. And I'm sure he's got a lot of young ladies chasing him. (laughs) Well, listen to this. Listen to this. That was a discovery. A lot, a lot of poochang, baby. A lot of poochang <laughs> over the years. I'll tell you, that helps too. Hey, Mike, that helps too. Hey, Mike, feel free to contact me offline. I, I really like to continue. I will, Robert. I will. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank Very you good. so much. All right, but, hey, but before you go, uh, uh, you mentioned about Hogan. I'll just say this. Um, see how relevant anything is, especially his work regards to the Cydonia or the face of Cydonia. Why doesn't he do that anymore? And two. Ask him to talk about UFO diaries and some certain images he provided them. Have a good night and let me know his response. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you. Very enjoyable. Very enjoyable uh, call in. Thank, thank you, you for the call, bro. Uh, God bless. So, um, about Hoagland, he's a good friend. He's brilliant. No, I, he I is know. Relevant. I know. Everything I don't he's want to turn done, this everything into he's done, <clears throat> I don't agree with all of it. Right. Uh, but I respect his dedication to his art, to his skills. And so... Um, yeah, he taught I, me. He taught me a lot. You know, you, know the best the thing he, you know the best thing he taught me? Was to yeah. investigate no matter the where or to whom it leads to. Yes. yes, indeed. Now, let me go back. First, I'd like to say thank you for the question and thank you for uh, talking about the balance on the bench. I am extremely physically fit because I've dedicated nearly 50 years of my life to the practice of Tai Chi Chuan. I found truth. I found truth in human body movement in Tai Chi Chuan. But I believe Tai Chi Chuan is the user's manual for the human body. It gives you the blueprint. Aside from the Bible. (laughs) Aside from the Bible. It gives you the blueprint for the human body. I mean, the Bible does give you a blueprint for life, but it doesn't give you the plan, the actual proportions, the, the, the dimensions, how you are supposed to be aligned. And it's a very mystical system, and I had a mystical experience where I saw Christ. I saw the face of Christ. I saw the form of Christ. And when I saw this perfect human being, I said, oh, my God, that's why we're fallen beings. We're supposed to look like that, not like this. Right? <laughs> and like this was what I looked like then. So I talk about reverse engineering. I use Tai Chi Chuan to reverse engineer my body into the form that Adam had when he woke up in the garden and stood up for that first time, that first beautiful, glorious morning. He was (laughs) perfectly aligned. He was perfectly balanced. And he was perfectly happy. And I have striven for that. So... With the balance on the bench, one day I worked out intensely in my Tai Chi sports because I don't just teach the slow motion Tai Chi. That is the form, and that form is a method for how you should engage in everything else you do physically. Everything from basketball to basket weaving or baseball 
And I discovered that all the greatest athletes in their prime and their in their highest moments slip into the form. Joe DiMaggio on his 56-game hitting streak, Roger Maris when he hit 61 home runs, Mickey Mantle in his prime, um, Franco Harris, you know, the Pittsburgh... Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, Michael Jordan, you know, when he's flying, all of these guys, they slip into this, per Michael Jackson when he was dancing, they all slip into this perfect alignment and, and you can harness universal forces when you're in that alignment, right? You're not stressed. You are graceful. You have uh, the grace of an angel. So anyway, I walk over to this bench after a really long workout. And there's a picture of the monument, okay? If you scroll down, you'll see a beautiful monument with a flying saucer flying over it uh, in the big picture. So that's where I teach in New York. And that's where I saw a UFO on June 1st, 2019. A UFO came out down practically to street level and uh, levitated. It went up along the side of a building it got above the building and rotated and turned from a sphere into a disc. And then it flew very slowly around the building and around this monument, waving its wings to me as it flew around. And I felt I had a telepathic contact with it. And the waving of the wings so gently back and forth, back and forth as it flew around at a very slow speed, about the speed of a slow-flying slow um, airplane. You know, like a single-engine plane, right. 100 miles an hour, 80, 90 miles an hour, but real slowly, but waving back and forth, waving its wings at me and was saying, happy flying. So that was very exhilarating. About three months later, I found a video on YouTube that's called the Verrazano Bridge UFO Dash Cam. Uh, Google that, and it... A guy in New York in 2015 captured the exact same UFO flying past the, the Verrazano Bridge. As he was racing down into Staten Island, the UFO crossed right across uh, his camera's field of view and he captured it. Uh, beautiful, beautiful video. So this, um, this day, about five years ago, I'm feeling really great after working out. I went over, leaned against the bench. And I pitched up my head to look at this monument. I pitched my head up and back to straighten my neck. And my body flipped over and balanced. It just stopped horizontally on the bench. And I couldn't believe my eyes. There I am. I'm floating horizontally with my lower back on the edge of the back of the bench. Are you saying you were leveling yourself out on that bench like that in yeah. that picture when you seen this thing? No, no, no. This oh, is years okay. before. Oh, oh, oh. But, Sorry. But I take it, it it's otherworldly because it was not my intention. All I did was put my back against the bench, look up at the monument, mm. and the change in leverage, you know, like, you know about the moment, Tom, when, you, when you're on a seesaw, the length of right. one side is the length of the other, plus the weight creates a thing called the moment arm. So apparently, the point of contact that I made against the bench was the center of gravity of my body. Ah, so that when I pitched my head back a little bit more, looking up to look at the top of it, this this was not on the same level of the monument. It was downhill. We looked downhill to 
I would say about another 60 feet down to the left of this was where I was. So when I looked up, I pitched my head up. It changed the moment arm, and my body just tilted back. And it came to rest in a perfectly horizontal level, as if I was floating in water. And I said, oh, my God, I found my center of gravity. And now that I know it, I can do this anytime I want. So now I can. That makes sense. I can, I can walk over to that bench. I can lean against it in exactly that same spot. I look up. I pitch myself back and I float. And it, I stay perfectly horizontal without stress. Then I kick back a little farther, put my legs over my head with my head on the bench. Then I kick them over and do almost a front flip to a jackknife position. But these, you know, people say, why do you do Tai Chi Chuan? I'll do Tai Chi Chuan because I, now I'm 73 years old and I have the alignment and the physique that I had when I was 28, 29 years old. And uh, recently, the vitality. A lot of this has to do with diet and, um, and water, water levels. It's a very important thing. And also supplements. You know, as we get older, we stop producing certain uh, things naturally in our bodies and when we are depleted of those things that brings on old age but I dedicated myself to um, biophysiology and psychology and on nutrition and I've entered something now that's beyond beyond molecular nutrition I call it quantum nutrition I'm nurturing the internal uh, needs of my cells I'm taking supplements that are keeping my endocrine system young and vital, that burn fat. Yeah. And so right now I'm, I'm at an optimum weight. I'm weighing about 160, between 160 and 170 pounds, which is my college weight. That's where I should and, be at. I could stand to lose a good 40 pounds, I think. <laughs> you know, I think that, especially uh, since my accident with my back and this uh, yeah. this commie lockdown bullshit, uh, yeah. I, I've I gained some weight, and uh, I just can't wait to get better so I could uh, rectify that. Well, I'm glad I'm glad that Mike from CIA asked me the question because I'm sharing these things with you, not not to boast. I'm really humbled by it, honestly. Right. I feel very privileged to have come upon or to have been recruited into Tai Chi Chuan by the ultimate, the highest-ranking grandmaster of the time, whose blessing I received after he passed away, which changed my life. You see, I have a certainty in my mind, body, spirit, my soul, that I am immortal. I am immortal. My spirit and my soul are immortal, and they're in this body. This body that I'm in. Is pizza you know, okay? Is pizza okay? I'm sorry, Robert. Is pizza okay with uh, pizza Tai Chi? Is one of the better junk foods, but it's uh, carbohydrates that really are the killers. Sugar. Sugar is toxic. Sugar will, uh, in the long run, kill your energy, kill your strength, screw your motivation, uh, pack up lard and fat to the point where you can't get it, and it causes inflammation. A lot of people that think that they're obese, when you look at them, you see that they're kind of tough. You know, there's not a lot of lard on them. What is What it is is that they're inflamed. It causes huge inflammation. And a lot of the maladies that you suffer <clears throat> in middle to 
older age are consequences of sugar just poisoning you. Now, sugar, I'm not just talking about white sugar that you would put into your coffee. I drink gallons of coffee a day, literally, but I, I take it with honey. But um, things that turn into sugar, and a lot of people don't know that potatoes, rice, cereals, fruits, they all break down into sugars. And what you should be eating are vegetables and uh, proteins, meat, chicken, nuts, um, and, and wean yourself off the sugars. It, I, I used to eat a, a loaf of bread a day. And when I got to be 48, my weight kicked up to about 200 pounds during winter. I always gained weight during winter. That's a lot of bread. Well, it depends on whether you burn it up or not, you know. Uh, and I was always good at burning up carbs. Right. But at 48, I, I got heavy one winter. And I always used to take that winter weight off in just two weeks. But then it was taking a month, and then it was taking two months, and then when I was 48, it was taking three months. So what the hell's going on? And I found out from a friend, a nutritionist, about a supplement that uh, we produce we produce it when we're young, until the age of 28. And then it starts to wane. And by the time you're 48, you're producing very, very little of it. And this supplement uh, burns up fat, keeps your endocrine glands young, and synchronizes them, and puts you back in sync energetically. So that's where I started. And just coincidentally, I, I went deeply into supplements, and I believe in them wholeheartedly. One of the most important supplements I learned to take over the last three years was vitamin D and vitamin D3. Yes. And it turns, it turns out that vitamin D prevents the coronavirus from replicating. Yes. It stops, it stops the splitting of the, the virus and its replication, among, and a lot of other things. Anyway, let's go back to uh, UFOs, because yeah. I have a couple more pictures that I want to talk about. Right. So that's where I teach. If you go to UFO Digest and go to the top of the page, it says Video Update, and you will read about at least seven close encounters with UFOs that I have had at this monument. And I'm thinking of having um, a lecture, a series of lecture or a group that meets there for the uh, a saucer watch, you know. And what I'll do is I'll teach people how to distinguish airplanes from flying saucers. I'm just give you a hint. If you're out at night and you see a red light going across the sky and the red light is going from right to left, it's an airplane. If you see a, a, a red light that's going from left to right, it might be a UFO or some poor pilot who's flying upside down. Or zigzagging and not not in a straight traverse. Uh, um, well, that happens too. That happens too. Uh, Michael um, Dean asked you, though, uh, when, do, when do you think uh, we'll be an interplanetary species? Well, we're already interplanetary because we've gone to the moon. The moon is actually a small planet. It's the biggest. It's the biggest moon relative to the mother, to the home planet of any moon in our solar system. Eric. Our solar system. So, we are really already interplanetary beings. We have already sent probes, many probes to Mars. There are some people that we have had a believe 
that we have had a secret pro space program that has already gone to Mars. And I wouldn't put it past I wouldn't put it past the United States government in league with other governments or secret government to have done that already. There's a very intriguing video on YouTube that's called uh, ISS Columbia Voyage to Mars, and it purports to be a film taken from a spaceship that flew to Mars. Oh, I've seen that. I thought you were referring to that one. I I received, along with UFO Diaries years ago, uh, Mm -hmm. a video that was anonymously anonymously mailed to me uh, Mm -hmm. of what looked like a craft... And it was stating that they were uh, landing on Mars. They were talking all, you know, professional air, air like they're flying in something. And you could see mm. out the window. And at the yeah. window, as they were coming down, you could tell that they were circling. Like they were yeah. they were circling, spiraling down until they came to the ground. And once they touched down on the ground through the foo-foo dust, and that's what it looked like, the dust. And then you mm. see this thing. Uh, start leaving a tunnel in its wake as it takes off. Uh, that some it landed near something that was living, and it and it mm-hmm. took off. Uh, do you, I think that was about what, early two thousands. I received that. Yeah. I think you're talking. I think you're talking about Alternative Three, which was a science fiction. No, it wasn't uh, the movie. It wasn't the movie. Well, it's a movie. No, no, I'm talking about a movie. Alternative 3 is a movie. Right, yeah, but this wasn't a movie. It was made in 1967. It's about people disappearing from society. Nobody knows where they go. And it turns out that they were being recruited for this mission to Mars. And at the end of that movie, in 1967, they showed the most realistic film that I have have ever seen depicting a landing on Mars, and when it lands on Mars, there's something in the foreground and something squirrels away. Huh. So I think that's what you're talking about. So look for Alternative 3. It's it's around. If you can still find it. And it's an intriguing British production, which is about this, you know, people going off-world. And that's why I mentioned I've heard a lot of uh, stories about jump rooms and secret missions, but that strip of film is very convincing, as is the International Spaceship Columbia Voyage to Mars, which shows Mars from orbit through the, the window through the window of the spaceship. And I'll tell you, I'm an expert on Mars. I've seen Mars closer than any human being has had seen it in 60,000 years, and that was in 2003 when it came that close to Earth that it had come within 34 million miles. And when I looked at it through the telescope that I bought specifically for that, it looked as big as the moon does through binoculars. And I saw weather. I saw arcs of uh, plasma coming over the whole planet from the north to the south. I saw a mountain on the south pole that looked like a unicorn's horn. I saw the the, uh, Tarsus Montes, and I saw Olympus Mons, And I saw the eye of Mars, which is something that frightened me. When I saw the eye of Mars. It looked like a big eye, yeah. It looked like a big eyeball in the sky looking at me. And I realized that I was looking into an abyss. I was looking into an asteroid impact crater that was so deep that the sunlight doesn't reach the bottom of it 
until about 11 o'clock, 10.30, 11 o'clock in the morning. And I, time, I, right? I called it, I wrote it up, I wrote it up, I called it the Eye of Mars, and then I found out that Percival Lowell had spoken about something called the Eye of Mars. And this turns out to be a region of Mars called Solus Lacus. And Solus Lacus is right beneath the Valles Marineris. Yes. A huge crack, the canyon that stretches from New York to San Diego. Which the, which the Valles Marineris also looks like in like Sebastian Voltmore's picture. Remember that, Robert? Where yes, it looks like it's actually a bridge almost. It looks like yeah, kind of. His his photograph was fantastic. Oh, it, it made me believe that that an asteroid really just tunneled through Mars. You know, it I like, get just him hit back on the and show again. came out one side. Yeah, it's a very beautiful, beautiful uh, photograph, and uh, I'll never forget uh, the enhancement that you did. So anyway, I believe the human race originated on Mars, and that because of the Martian cataclysm, we had to migrate here and restart. And that the ancient gods of uh, Egypt and India and the Anunnaki were the survivors, the Martian remnant. They were more highly evolved than the proto-hominids who were here. And in order to, uh, to preserve the human Martian race, they knew that the numbers that they came with were so few that they would die out so that they hybrid Martian human DNA with earthly proto-hominids, cute little monkey girls, little hairy, little smelly, but kind of cute. And, uh, <laughs> shake their, <laughs> shake lovable, their hairy lovable. <laughs> uh, lovable. And that uh, they produced um, Homo sapien. That's, that's my belief. Now, it's not only my belief, but I'll tell you, it's also NASA's belief. But they haven't said it overtly. They have said it covertly. If you look at the movie Return to Mars, or Mission to Mars, excuse me, Mission, Mission to Mars, Mars with, right. with uh, Gary Sinise, yeah. when they go into the face on Mars and they go into the holographic planetarium, right. they walk up to the image of Mars floating in front of them, and like three seconds after they stand in front of the hologram of Mars, uh, an asteroid or meteor goes right by his armpit and hits Mars and destroys it. And you see the Martian cataclysm unfold. And then you see the migration of the Martian remnant, most of them shooting off in spaceships, going off toward the region of Orion. You know, I but thought that they were biting off the 58 comic of uh, Kirby because of the virtual interaction, though obviously they did it with that exquisite layout, like you're saying, like, you know, is that Mars? And then, bam, you know, you just described it. But that was yeah. like a virtual holographic experience. It kind of reminded me, even when I seen that, of the Kirby comic. Uh, in a sense, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, well, a lot of people, see, I think that what we're doing, they talk about woke, I'm thinking, talking about awakening. Right. Something is releasing what I call nuclear memories. There is an archive, ah. a DNA archive inside us that has encoded in a repository of memories, subconscious memories, 
the memories of every antecedent in our lineage from now to the beginning of time. And I'm talking about talking about racial memory going back to Adam. But then I'm talking about atomic memory or nuclear memory that goes back to the beginning of time. Wow. And that what Imagine what you would need to uh, access those memories. Well, maybe these uh, UA, UAP, UFO intelligences maybe could do it if they know they your know fingerprint. But they're natural substances on this planet that have been put here by God to help us remember. They're called psychedelics. And I believe that that they open up those avenues. And it's uh, very well documented. You know, things like ayahuasca, peyote. LSD. Yeah. Oh, doors LSD. open. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Doors of perception. Um, yes. And it is known that the adepts have been using this since time immemorial in India, um, the Hindus, the Chinese, um, everyone has known, but it's been uh, secret knowledge has been kept suppressed from, from human beings. But sometimes it happens spontaneously through meditation, through um, the rigors of uh, self-discipline, fasting, desire, or critical life situations. You know, we hear... Often people in near-death experiences, they say their whole life flashed before them. They saw everything, you know, like in a super, uh, super animated, uh, huh. rapid movement of their lives. Well, that can happen also to uh, really deeper levels. And that's what I call nuclear memory. Remember, we are composed of atomic matter. Every atom in our bodies came out of the sun. That is a fact. That's amazing. Every atom in our bodies and every atom that you consume in food and is tra uh, uh, transmuted into energy came out of the sun. And I believe that atoms have consciousness. Atoms make choices. What do I mean by that? Well, an atom that's negatively charged will be attracted to a, an atom that's positively charged and be repelled by an atom of the same polarity. I view that as choice. So it's possible to access that. It's, that may be the repository of what people call the Akashic record. You see? If right. it's archived somewhere, it's in the nucleus of the atom. And human consciousness has the capacity to enter those realms. So uh, we've got a lot of work to do, right? but I think people are remembering. See, it's, we're all remembering who we really are. The monkey, the monkey suit that has been thrown upon us, is being uh, cast off. So as I say, it's not UAPs; it's UAPs. <laughs> yeah, UAPs better remember. UAPs better remember who you are, or else you don't have much time left. That's right. It's code, you know, man. I, I like to say this too. If you believe from science that a dinosaur could transform itself into a bird, <laughs> then why can't a human being transform himself into an angel? Yeah, that's a good question. There's nothing standing in the way except your doubt. And what if your true nature is angel and not monkey? 
think think about what that would do for your for your uh, self image. Yeah. Uh, you know what? There's there's a I remember the old punk rock band called Devo. Yeah. <laughs> they wrote a song. They wrote a song called Jocko Homo. <laughs> and in that song, I think they arrived at universal truth when they sang. You walk like a nape, you talk like a nape, you do like the monkeys do. God made man, but the monkeys provided the glue. Huh. Think about that. That's, yeah. I think, exactly what we're talking about. Yes, indeed. You walk like an ape, you talk like an ape, you do like the monkeys do. God made man, but the monkeys provided the glue. Jaco, you homo. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they were something. I got to see those guys live. What a bunch of nuts. (laughs) They posed posed with uh, flower pots on their heads for the cover of it. I look back at the 80s. I thought that was one of the greatest epics uh, of my life. Uh, the new wave era and yeah. the punk rock. The music was uh, so novel and so inventive. Yeah. And now we're stuck with junk. Yeah, junk, much, junky yeah. rock. And, and, junky and rock. Even rock every, doesn't even Every other to word is the N-word. Yeah. You know? You know, and so... Listen, we have to reclaim back our culture, our lives, our normality, our normalcy, as I prefer to say. And let me just knock off a couple of these pictures. So the UFO picture with the monument are photo facsimiles that I created. They are not real UFOs, but they're as close to what I saw that day, June 1st, 2019, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, where this UFO came down to street level. It popped out from behind a tree and I looked at it and it was a giant sphere. It was a giant lead balloon and it started to rise very slowly between the buildings on 89th Street. You'll get the whole story if you go to UFO Digest and it'll even give you the bird's eye view that the UFO had of me on the monument with a Google map that I was able to find. Imagine this, I'm writing the story and I said, I, I want people to see where I was. I'm going to go Google Map, and I put SNS Soldiers and Sailors Monument, and bing, I hit search, and out it pops, and the view that Google Earth gave me was the view that UFO had of me looking down at the plaza where I was looking up at it. I mean, I often say, and I like to say it, God moves my mouse, I only click it. That's I what I so said many years times. ago. I believe that. And is guided. My, and sometimes my typing is guided. So anyway, that's what I saw. So I create photo facsimiles. They're not fake UFO pictures. I openly say I created this to give you, the viewer, an idea of what I saw. And the big picture is the better of the two. Right? So... Mm-hmm. Because the other one was just a rough job. I just cut and pasted, you know, a, a kind of rectangular form in there. So uh, I don't want people to think I'm faking UFO pictures. It's a photo facsimile. Now, the photo below it, that's a beauty. That's one of two photos taken over the moon by Apollo 12. And this was a UFO, which I would call is evanescent. It, it came into uh, materiality. The other picture is a little more nebulous. So 
This golden UFO is uh, seen over um, the region of the moon uh, near where the Apollo 11 landed as they were flying over it. And then, of course, the picture uh, taken from the airliner, that picture was taken by a tourist on a Chinese airliner. And these UFOs are, you know, the iPhone has been one of the greatest instruments for studying UFOs because people are just happenstancely, you know, taking a picture out the window and zoom, they go by. Now, I'll say this. The airliner is moving at 600 miles an hour, and these UFOs are going by it so fast, at about 600 yeah. miles an hour. And it says to me, those UFOs are holding station. Mm. They're not doing 600 miles an hour in the opposite direction. They're just sitting there watching, watching the world go by. Yeah. Let's go down to the picture with the water. Now, this is one of a series of photographs, and you can find the rest of them by typing in Google UFO SSN674. And you'll find about at least six or seven photographs taken through the periscope. Even when they're coming out of the water, is that the set part of the set? not only that. Coming out of the water and being shot out of the sky. Wow. I didn't see see a shot out of the sky one. Oh, it's in the same series. This happened. This happened in the North Atlantic in the ni- 1970s. I think that the submarine's uh, name was U- USS Topan. Huh. Uh, you'll find it if you type in SSN. That's a that's a signal for uh, um, that's a sign call sign for American nuclear submarines. For example, SSN five nine six five nine seven were the USS Thresher and Tullabees. And uh, SSN-674, I believe, was USS Topang. So the USS Topang was up there in the North Atlantic and shot, shot these pictures through the telescope of this huge mothership, another triangular ship, and another one, which looks even bigger than this. And somebody shot somebody else down. I don't know that it was the USS Topang that shot one down, but... These three types of UFOs appear over the North Atlantic, and all of a sudden, this gigantic cigar-shaped one just gets hit, kaboom, and it goes down like the Hindenburg. So I encourage people to do their own research. Don't take my word for it. I'll just give you the guide. I'm a guide. Go this way. Step this way, you ape. (laughs) (laughs) Step this way, you ape, and remember who you are. So um, type in UFO, SSN674, USS Topang, and you'll find the whole series. These were published in a uh, French magazine. That's why all the the writing is in French. And uh, I'll just be facetious. It uh, It says in the bottom of this picture... This is uh, top secret. Uh, do not release it, or else we're going to kick your butt. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. So there's that one. Oh, let me not. My Canadian friends would be very disappointed if it, I, I didn't talk about what I consider to be one of the most important UFO pictures ever taken. And this is the UFO flying over the newly constructed Vancouver. 
Municipal City Hall in 1936, around Christmas time of 1936, someone was out there to take pictures of their beautiful new city hall and the beautiful Christmas tree displays that the city had put up. Because in those days, Canada celebrated Christmas. In those days, Canada celebrated Canada Day. But now Canada does not celebrate Christmas, and it doesn't even celebrate the day of its own founding, July 1st, Canada Day. What they did on Canada Day is atrocious. The commies, the commie Canucks, roped up the statues of Queen Victoria, Queen Elizabeth, Captain Cook, all of the great founders of the Canadian Dominion, and they ripped them off their pedestals and they kicked them with their feet and I hope they broke their feet like the people down in North Carolina did. But anyway, that on UFO, this day... That UFO in that picture looks like uh, the one in that Jesus paintings, the one chasing the other. Exactly so. Exactly so. Now, why is this picture so important to me? Because the atmosphere was full of moisture. It was a very, very cloudy day. A cloudy winter day. As you see, it's Christmas time. It looks like a lot of rain had fallen. The light from the city hall is illuminating the cloud cover. The, the light from the Christmas trees is illuminating the Christmas trees. And the plasma, the plasma around the craft is lighting up the craft and showing you the, the laminar flow of the atmosphere around it. Now, the important thing for me is this. It, the tip, the pointy tip on the right side of in, the craft. In front of it, all right. Indicates, yeah, in front. Uh, obviously, we can tell it's not going from right to left. It's going from left to right. The tail is dark. The, the, the nose is bright. But the pointy tip, you look at it very closely, and there's a gap. Yes. And it's not a shock wave. See? A shock wave would be joined and you'd see two, two streaks coming out, which would ordinarily cause a sonic boom. But as this thing was going by, I guarantee you there was no sonic boom. My interpretation of this photograph is that it's not operating on anti-gravity propulsion. You know? This thing is operating on vacuum technology. They have an ability to create a vacuum in what we'll call the front of the ship. Sounds like Jack Sarfati a little bit, if I recollect correct. If he he talks about uh, uh, generating vacuum in front of the ship, then we're on the same wavelength, because that's what I think it is. I don't think this thing is being propelled. I think this thing is being sucked by a vacuum that it is creating in the ether. And if you create a vacuum... There's nothing in it. So there's nothing to resist. You see? And the vacuum itself will draw the object through it, carrying the vacuum bubble with it. A vacuole. That's what they call it. They call these, these, uh, these spaces inside a cell. They call them vacuoles, where certain cell bodies reside. So let's say that the UFO is able to create a vacuum on one side of it. And with their technology, they can create the vacuum on any side of it. 
And I believe that that vacuum neutralizes not only resistance, but neutralizes gravity so that whoever's inside the craft is not going to feel gravitational forces. Right, no because inertia, nothing. They are, right, they are in their own they're, they're in their own inertial field, which is not subject to the gravitational forces that are external. So this uh, this image should be used as evidence of some type in in, in these uh, debates and uh, talk, briefings and uh, apparently uh, court uh, court sure. claims. But uh, that being said, Robert, uh, we're, we're really dwindling down. Uh, my co-producer's got to get up in three hours. Um, okay. Damn, I, I, could right. go, I wish we could go longer, but we definitely got to do this another time. And thank okay. you for appearing. The last scary story. Okay. Read the document. Read the document at the bottom, which tells the story of some Russian soldiers who fired on a UFO and pissed off the UFO. The UFO came around. They shot one down. Another the group came and rescued them. But then they fired a ray at the Russian soldiers and turned them to stone. Except one guy who was hiding in the shadows, he survived it. UFO, UFOs are dangerous. UFOs are lethal. Don't mess with them. Don't be aggressive. And uh, watch your back. So read that story. It's a CIA file that I discovered in the late 1990s. And it is told in a YouTube that you can find that says five military encounters with aliens. Look that up. And this is one of the stories you'll see there. And Gary, thank you for having me on the show. Oh, yeah, no a problem, complete bro. and total pleasure. Uh, hi to Mike from the CIA. Thanks for calling in. <laughs> I, we had a lot of fun. So yeah, well, okay. wake up, you apes. Yeah. You, you are angels in disguise. <laughs> All right, Robert. Well, thank you very much for joining us. We definitely will do this again sometime. Maybe next time with a roundtable type thing going on or whatnot. It's always uh, a learning experience with you, and uh, we'll talk again soon, brother. Okay. You too. All right. So have a good night. night, All right, everyone. Well, there you have it. For those that may still have the ears on, Mean Green already closed the stream, but uh, on this recording here uh, for the archive, it'll be. uh, closed out now so it's pretty amazing where all that's going what is upon us now again mr bassett is uh really optimistic he's saying he seems highly charged and invigorated so i take that as a positive curve uh to all this and we definitely got to keep following uh his work and uh his continued uh willingness and ability uh to bring this Forth and help break it down for us, and hopefully, I agree with Robert. He should be part of these uh, briefings, or at least the court proceedings, in some public fashion, uh, since he has been there for the public and uh, waiting on them politically uh, all those years ago uh, to deal with these issues. So he definitely deserves his place at the table. Um, he has earned it, and uh, so hopefully, you all feel the same way. Help support him. Do what you can. Donate to him. Go to his uh, website. So, other than that, again, linked on the facesofmars.com. But all I got to tell you, man, is that all we are, and even this show, the Martian Revelation, we all need to be, again, made in America. Hopefully, till next week. Good night.